would spawn an orb of power. Uh, you could pick this up for uh, a boost to your intellect, but then also for a lot of the different mods that we were using uh, that we mentioned earlier in the episode, you can get benefits off of that. But coming in Witch Queen, that aspect of the masterwork is no longer going to happen. So uh, we will have to use a mod that's going to be on our helmets to help us generate orbs. And this is going to be tied to your elements. So it won't just be one mod, it's going to be... Uh, four or five, depending on uh, how they handle kinetic weapons that aren't tied to a, a specific element, um, you'll have an, a mod that will give you the orb generation effect for all the weapons that are tied to the element of the mod. So if you have a solar orb generation mod, you're only going to spawn orbs with your solar weapons. So this, uh, yeah, this is a big change. Uh, it's not clear right now what the benefit of a master working weapon will be come Witch Queen, but um, the reason Bungie is doing this is that they're taking the, the effect of the masterwork uh, off of weapons, presumably to free up that slot for, for new perks coming into Witch Queen. We don't know what weapon crafting is going to look like right now. We haven't had much information, but uh, we're being told that this, this is going into effect so that that frees up a perk slot of some, some choice uh, on our legendary weapons. There's a lot of conspiracy theories yeah. going on right now about what exactly this is going to allow or what's going to come from this in which between my hope and kind of maybe what's been hinted at a little bit in the past um, in one of Destiny's earlier, uh, you know, State of the Union addresses, um, or State of the Game, I should say, is uh, probably the proper name from Joe Blackburn. He was talking about the differentiation between you know, two uh, hanging cannons, two void hanging cannons. And I got one from Gambit, and, like, I got one from the raid. And what is their identity beyond the a stats that they have and the perk pools that they have? Um, you know, right now, some of the, the, the main identity of the weapon outside of that is basically its look and its sound, uh, bring a lot of the identity of the weapon and its feel to it. Um, but we're looking at a future where... Fingers crossed, I would hope we have intrinsic type of boundary traits or maybe subtle base traits that are intrinsic to weapon types and frames that come from various sources and things like that. So, um, you know, if we were giving up this master working on, you know, ore generation so that we can have foundry intrinsic traits, then so be it. You know, we'll, uh, who knows where this kind of may lead, right, in the, uh, in the coming months. We also got a look at the uh, upcoming champion mods. Not all of them, but most of them. So uh, some people <laughs> have been complaining about anti-barrier auto rifle. Well, uh, guess what? In the upcoming season, auto rifles, along with SMGs, are going to disrupt overload champions in Season 16. Um, and then for anti-barrier, we will have scout rifles and bows, which uh, I think a lot of us here are, are pretty pumped for uh, as bow and scout rifle users. <laughs> We have also been given information that the new weapon type, the Glaive, is going to have a champion mod for Unstop specifically. Um, so that's going to be very exciting. Can't wait to get my hands on that as well. Something interesting I'll say, too, is about the the way that the K has kind of trended with weapon mods. This is something that has been speculated at a lot about the pattern of pinnacle weapons or you know, seasonal weapons and the mods that follow them. Um, this is speaking to 
the path of salvo and then breaching clear, followed by a fusion rifle and a fusion rifle mod. Um, and now we had ascendancy. So there is some, you know, expectation, anticipation that there will be some sort of rocket mod uh, in the upcoming season. Bungie may move away from these super strong artifact mods, or they may give us unstoppable rockets or something else. Um, but yeah, definitely think there's some kind of other unstoppable there. Uh, I've, you know, I've got to imagine they're going to give it to more than just the glaive. So uh, you know, we'll see what else comes out of that. And you know, speaking of all the champion mods, there's one change in this TWAB that I think we can all agree is a fantastic change. You are now no longer capped on the amount of mods that you can purchase from your artifact starting in Season 16. Yes. Huge change. (laughs) This will still require a lot, you know, a lot of leveling, right? You have to be a a certified grinder, I think, to uh, be getting all of these artifact mods, but um, that is huge, honestly, and you can still reset your artifact to repurchase those, but... You're no longer going to be limited on that initial set. Um, I believe that they said the progression is going to be similar to how it is now, and then it will kind of just ramp up after that. Um, so your your original, I believe it's 12 mods or so that you get from the artifact, um, will probably unlock at the same rate that you're used to from the past few seasons. Um, and then it's going to slow down, right, for the remaining mods. You're going to unlock there, theoretically, eventually being able to unlock every single mod from that artifact, which, as far as builds go, that just opened the door even further, which I'm very excited about. And I think another thing that Ulta did was made the armor from the Master Grasp of Avarice Dungeon just slightly more valuable. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So for those who have not run the Master Dungeon, that's pretty reasonable, Um, but it draws a special kind of armor, and that armor has an extra slot like a armor from a piece of raid wood for its raid mod, but in this case, the artifice armor has an extra artifact slot. And if we are getting into some territory here where um, we potentially have a lot of artifact mods, having that armor with some extra mod slots on it could be really nice. So there's a little motivation for you to get out there and get to grinding on some Master Grasp of Avarice dungeons if you can manage the light level and the challenge. Absolutely. I believe that about does it for Episode 2. If you have listened all the way to the end, uh, we really appreciate it. Honestly, everybody that has come out and supported the podcast over our first episode, it's been seriously overwhelming to see just a positive response from that. We you know, can't tell you how much we appreciate it and are looking forward to just the future of the show. Thank you, especially to Mr. Sutton, for coming on air and for being the third host this week in episode two. We really appreciate your time, man. Of course, man. I always love hanging out and talking Destiny with Bud, so this is just a, this is great for me. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I have been Snake Beer. You can find me around the massive breakdown.
Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of Podcast vs. Enemies, a Destiny Massive Breakdown show. This week, we are really excited to jump into the new raid and a bunch of other Witch Queen content. My name is Saint Kavir, and joining me, as always, are a solitary bird and Court. Court, how are you doing? How have you been this past week? Not bad, not bad. I have uh, almost fully recovered from my earlier virus from a few weeks back. Just been uh, completely uh, enveloping myself with all the Destiny content, as usual. Bart, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, love the, the new raid. Gotten to play a couple times now. Uh, I think it's probably my favorite raid in Destiny at the moment. So, uh, love the lore, love the encounter design, love the weapons that are dropping from it. So, I'm riding high, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely loving the, uh, the the raid as well. We'll get on to that a little bit uh, shortly. Uh, we do have some podcast reviews just to kind of uh, cover for uh, the last uh, since our last episode. Uh, we do have one. Uh, we've got three here. Uh, one from uh, Gimbok, if that's how you want to pronounce that, uh, from the sunny land of Australia. We have NG Ball seventy eight from the US and Young Nasty Man ninety five, also from the US. Uh, some really uh, really good reviews there, really uh, solid uh, feedback. And uh, again, if you want to, uh, uh, if you want to send us a little review, if you can't do that, you can always uh, hit us up on the uh, our socials and our discords. Uh, and just as a little reminder as well, that uh, anyone that's outside the US, the reviews do take a little bit of time to propagate onto the uh, the website uh, aggregator that we use. So. Uh, just take that in mind. And, uh, yeah, so what we've got coming up then, Bart? Yeah, so a lot to talk about today. We are going to be giving our first impressions of the new raid, Vow of the Disciple. We're not going to be doing a full breakdown of that just yet. We want to get a few more runs in before we start giving some tips for the rest of you guys. We will be giving some tips and feedback on the legendary campaign, particularly some of the boss fights that uh, are in several of the missions. Uh, if you're planning on doing this uh, solo or in a group, we want to give you some, some heads up uh, on what to look for. And then we're going to be covering a weapon breakdown. We're going to be doing the Throne World weapons, all ten of them, giving our thoughts on those, and then touching on some highlights from update 4.0.0.3. So, with all that said, fellas, I think I know the answer. Uh, I think we all have the same answer, but uh, what did you guys do in Destiny last week? Anything big happen, Saints? You know, I was pretty much all consumed by the new raid <laughs> ever since that dropped this past Saturday. Um, it, you don't say. Kind of, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a small event in the Destiny community that I, uh, I, I enjoy participating in. Um, it kind of started off on a rough road, as I'm sure many people know or have seen or followed the raid or anything like that. Um, there were a lot of people getting error-coded and kicked out of their game early on into the raid and was very frustrating. My team personally, I think, got kicked twice. You know, we really had very minimal issues uh, in between the encounters. Um, weren't having, you know, a lot of frustrations around that. And at the same time, I'm seeing people getting kicked constantly for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, anything like that. They're struggling to even get into the first encounter with their team. So, hated to see that, but I know that wasn't the experience for everybody. Obviously, some teams were able to push through. Um, we'll get into the winner of Worlds first and all that uh, very soon from the TWAB. 
But I overall, you know, I think that this was a fantastic raid, despite its early technical issues. It really had good lore implications, right? There was interesting environments, unique boss fights. Uh, there was good loot to be earned from it. So, yeah, I'm not going to say it's my maybe not my top raid in the Destiny franchise, but I would definitely put it up there um, in the top three. And I think that the final boss, Rulk, the, the, the disciple himself, is definitely the, the best boss fight that the Raiden Dungeons team has ever designed. It really is a, a new bar for just the level of interaction between the boss and the encounter and the mechanics integration and all that and the active DPS phases. Just really fantastic job uh, with that. Um, Bird Court, what do you guys think? Initial thoughts on the Raid Court, how are you feeling? Well, uh, as uh, I've actually done it today, on, on the day of this uh, recording, uh, earlier today, uh, I, I did my first uh, clear and uh, impressions, first impressions, big thumbs up. Uh, I completely echo your sentiments there where the, the boss fight, Rook's boss fight, is just something we have been uh, lacking with uh, with raid uh, end bosses. Uh, I, I, frankly, I'm a little bit of, uh, a little bit sick and tired of standing in a well while the big bad boss sits on a podium and we just trade shots. <laughs> um, it's it's just it harks back to the Wrath of the Machine days for me, uh, which. Uh, I think now becomes the second, uh, my second favorite uh, encounter, uh, the Axis boss fight, uh, phase one and two, but specifically phase two, where it had the same element of everyone's got their own thing to do, and they have to progress and traverse the entire encounter. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of chatter as well. There's a lot of overlap with uh, uh, calls and shout-outs for uh, various mechanics. Uh, so the Rook's boss fight for me anyway has has just been absolutely uh, just amazing to play through. Uh, and I, I watched the raid, uh, the world's first raid during the uh, when it came out, and just watching the boss fight was just like yes, we we finally we finally have a a boss fight which isn't just standing still. Um, what's your thoughts then, uh, Bird, with the with the raids? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> watching, um, I think I was watching Datum's group when they finally got to damage on Rolk, and they were running up the steps, and they got up there, and I can't, I think it was, yeah, it was Datto. He, uh, I think he had a Fapringer, a time off Fapringer <laughs> out, and it was just the image of him holding his little hand cannon, and Rolf's doing his <laughs> anime ass wind up with the glaive, and then the charge, and the backhand, the kicks, and everything, and the. You just obliterated off the 100 yards off the platform. Up the, little, the little hand cannon to what we were witnessing the boss do to the, to, do to the team. I was like, oh my goodness, what, what game am I playing right now? This is not the looter shooter that I'm used to. Do, but uh, yeah, I've never getting been obliterated by something so beautiful. You know? Yeah. Sorry, it's just that because the boss fight feels so non-destiny is what right. I really like about it. <laughs> it's so dynamic, and we're just yeah. not used to that. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't ever want to go and play Deep Stone Crypt because Tannis is going to feel so yep. boring after this. Yep. Just standing there, he's looking down at us, mm-hmm. doing. Nothing uh, <laughs> compared yeah. to Rolf getting all up in my face, shooting laser beams out of his hands. He's got a glaive. He's glowing. I mean, yeah, just uh, 
server issues aside, hats off mm-hmm. to everybody and anybody that worked on that raid from the art team to the animation team to the sound mm-hmm. design, the weapons. It All of it is so, so good, and it's just awesome, and I know I'm going to have so much fun playing this over and over and over again. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been an incredible experience. Uh, speaking of incredible experiences, we do have some other things that we want to talk about because we want to get a few more runs under our belt before we do a a breakdown of the raid. Uh, there will be a master version coming later on, mm-hmm. so uh, we want to get really familiar with everything uh, before we start spreading the tips. Uh, and the results are still coming uh, out. The fragments that became unlocked um, after that world's first completion, yeah. we had harvest, instability, obscurity, and starvation, which has to do with uh, essentially devour, invisibility, volatile rounds, and... Uh, what was the last one? Uh, Orbs of Power. Harvest was Orbs of Power. Uh, yeah, so that's right. Yeah. Um, so a lot of incredibly useful ones there that we have also just kind of started messing around with uh, across mm-hmm. the other characters. You know, running over in Orb on your Titan uh, using, you know, your synergistic element wellmaker mod that only costs a singular point on your helmet. Very easy to, to you know, run a funnel web and start generating some orbs and Next thing you know, you have Devour, and uh, it's um, it's just kind of wild, to be honest with you. Times are, are strange, to be sure, amongst the Destiny classes. Um, it, I, you know, I remember hearing arguments a long time ago um, about kind of the loss of identity, and we kind of went back and forth on this. So I'll be interested to see how people feel over the next kind of, you know, a few weeks, month or so as some of these builds on various classes take the bubble to the top and if they are still concerned about their loss of identity or if they're just so happy about the build that they're going through with their, um, you know, Invis, Warlock, or whatever it is, have you, that's generating ammo and all these things that they kind of forget about that. Um, Another thing I want to mention for the day one was... um, I did manage to get a contest mode clear, so, you know, big thanks to my teammates. Uh, That was a very trying time. Uh, I think we came in around 9.40 total. Um, That was just over the the 24-hour mark, Um, which, you know, again, can't really blame that on connection issues. I think we got kicked maybe twice. It was just an absolutely brutal raid. Um, I think the most frustrating thing for us was just some difficulties with the final boss counter itself and some of the mechanics, you know, shifting lasers and things like that, you know, it's late, we've been playing for way too long, we're getting sloppy and the deaths are flying by way too easily, so that was an uh, absolutely brutal run, but uh, thanks to all of those guys for sticking it out and still managed to get that clear in uh, contest mode, that, uh, that felt good. Yeah, well done, Saint, and your team as well, well done. Thanks, guys. And uh, I think that's all we've got for the raid. And yep. for now, yep. yeah, for now, we'll uh, we'll do weapon breakdowns. We'll do encounter breakdowns uh, coming over the next few weeks. After, like Bird said, you know, we kind of are able to really dig into that content. Um, we're going legendary campaign, I believe. After this yeah, time. legendary campaign, the first one of its kind for Destiny Two. Um, really solid effort. Again, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to anyone that ever worked on that. That was amazing to play through. Um, it's it's a fun challenge. It's not the hardest thing, especially solo. It it, it is doable. I want to encourage everyone that's listening. If you're not 
uh, familiar with in-game PvE, you can do this. Um, the first mission in particular is uh, it caps all of your gear at the floor, uh, which for at the time of recording is 1350. So if you're working on uh, loadout strategies, you can pull anything from your vault. You don't need to infuse anything. It's all going to be at the same power level. So it's a great time to get in there and experiment, figure out what's working for you. And then go mission by mission. And uh, Legendary Campaign gives you double loot, so you will be getting plenty of upgrade modules. So you can carry all the gear that you love with you uh, up through the eight missions that are a part of the Legendary Campaign. Um, we're going to go into a few of the missions that have some boss fights and talk about some strategies that can work, uh, that work for us and that might work for you. I do want to give kind of a big picture strategy for anyone, excuse me, that's still thinking about uh, this may be on the fence about can I do this. So something to know about the legendary campaign is that there's no mission timer. Uh, you're not under uh, under the gun for getting through uh, boss fights. There's no enrage uh, that uh, mechanic that's there for for uh, raid bosses. So you can play your life at all times. You can take as long as you need. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get through all the fights. As long as you do it, that's the important part. So uh, I do want to encourage people who maybe uh, aren't very familiar with in-game PvE, you can get in there. You're, it's okay if you die. It's okay if it takes you a long time to wear down that boss health bar. Uh, you've got all the time in the world. Play your life. Stay alive. Move around. Uh, movement is a really big part of the Legendary Campaign and the new raid, and I'm really happy that this is a direction that uh, Bungie seems to be taking the game the bosses and the ads are very aggressive. That's the actual modifier that's in the legendary campaign. They will rush you. They will come as close to you. So standing in a well or hiding in a bubble is not as safe as it used to be. Um, so uh, especially a well, I would definitely discourage any of my Warlock players out there from running that. It's not going to get you a whole lot of benefits. You're going to have too many enemies coming up to you that either explode or have shotguns or flaming mauls. Um, then the bosses in particular do not take time into wells. So uh, just be comfortable with the fact that you need to be dealing damage while in motion. Um, so for those of you that maybe play a lot of PvP, this should not be a new <laughs> a new strategy for you, but um, for my PvE players who maybe are used to kind of hiding behind cover and then peeking out and hitting the boss in the head, that is not going to work for most of the fights here. So you're going to need to be comfortable with hitting headshots while you're in motion. Uh, think about kind of weapons that can give good damage without relying on headshots if you're not comfortable. So maybe don't use sniper rifles, but use something like a rocket launcher or uh, a linear fusion rifle if you're able to get some good shots in. And, uh, and most importantly, keep moving. Anything else? Any other big picture tips that you guys have for the campaign? No, you've pretty much nailed it. I think pacing, uh, you know, you always want to pace yourself. Don't rush yep. in. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, we can probably all admit here that we've been maybe a little bit gu guilty uh, with uh, just rushing into any sort of content and expecting success, and that's, that's never going to be the case. Uh, I, I certainly thought there would be a little bit of the challenge that we did receive, uh, and so I had to really restrain myself of just going, you know, guns whole. Uh, so it's it's as you guys talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago about the day one uh, raids or any sort of experience in high level PD content, and that is survivability. That is always the number one priority: pacing and survivability. I think a good phrase around that is respect your enemy. Yep. I 
a lot of times you don't have to do that because you're this almighty god slayer that is just zooming through the Cosmodrome at 40 miles an hour and yeah. headshot everything. But, you know, it's not quite the scene in the legendary campaign. Uh, you're not just stomping on dregs these days. So, yeah, respect the enemies, play your life. That's the name of the game. And, and move, like Bird said. Don't just sit still. Something's going to come up behind you and just smack you, like, every time. Um, so I guess all that said, let's jump into some missions. Yeah, speaking of a guy that likes to smack you from behind, let's go to Mission 3. This is called The Ghosts. This is the first Scorn boss that you will face. His name is Brutix. He is quite similar to, I think it was, the Hangman from uh, the Forsaken campaign. He's got the big flaming uh, maul that he carries around in one arm that he'll wind up and then do a huge slam attack, and it will send out a wave of fire towards you. Um, he is very aggressive, and I think the hardest part of the fight is the fact that the room he is in, when you do damage to him, is quite small. It's a circular room. Mm-hmm. You've got three kind of little side areas um, that will have captains with each of these three elemental shields, so that's something that you'll need to manage for the fight. Uh, you will need to damage and kill each of those captains uh, in order to progress the fight because Brutix does have uh, health gates in his health bar. He's got three phases. You'll do the three captain kills twice, and then you'll get the final uh, final third of his health down. So something to be aware of when you're thinking about weapons and what to use for that final fight. You want to be dealing enough damage to the shields that you can get those captains killed as quickly as possible so you're not overwhelmed by adds. Uh, I had Arbalist on uh, just to pop those shields right away, but I think you could get away with Wither Horde. You don't have Match Gain, the modifier in the campaign, but the uh, unmatched damage is reduced, or penalized, I should say. Um, It's not totally unforgiving, um, but it will take a significant amount of time to break a shield if you have the wrong element on. So, again, I think Arbalest. You could use the new uh, grenade launcher, exotic grenade launcher, the Dead Messenger. That does cycle through all three elements. It's a wave frame, so you just fire that at the ground. That's a great way to keep control of the adds as well as dealing with the captain shields. You could also use Wither Horde. That's going to be great for ticking the boss down if you need to be running and dealing damage at the same time. Uh, for heavy weapons, I'd probably point towards a rocket launcher. We do have some really solid options this campaign. You could, or this season, sorry, you could bring in Galhorn if you really wanted to. I think I had a legendary for the fight that I did it on. Um, tracking, I know the Hockey Precision Frame does have tracking innately, so that was very helpful for me. Uh, just go stand at the far side of the room, aim at the boss. He is slow, but he is always moving. So, uh, again, you need to be faster than him. It's really the important part. Um, I, I did make the mistake when I was going through on my Titan by myself of thinking, oh, I can probably just fly right over him. He won't have an uppercut attack. And he did, in fact, have an uppercut attack. And he sent me flying into a wall, and that ended my run. So I would really <laughs> encourage you to stay as far away from Brutus as possible because he hurts up close, and he likes to get up close. You know, you're doing the uh, important research out here in the field, Bird, yeah, for, the, yeah. for the listeners. <laughs> yes, exactly. For for uh, yeah, for yeah, for the people learning for the first time, do not get close to him. He can kick, he can punch, he can slam. He does it all. He's amazing. So um, staying on the far side of the room, again, it's a circular room. You do have kind of like a raised platform in the middle. That's where Sigur's go show is. So if you can kind of get that in between you and Brutix and then fire at him again with 
uh, a rocket launcher or a linear fusion rifle. I, I suppose you could use a fusion rifle, but you'd probably have to get a little bit close, too close for my comfort, at least to him, if you wanted to try that strategy. Or if you're really good with your shot, a sniper rifle would be a great option. Is an obvious that's certainly come to prominence this expansion uh, with the raid and everything. You could certainly take it into the legendary campaign, and that would do uh, quite well. For subclasses, again, uh, we've all been doing this on Void because that is the flavor of the season. Um, I'm sure there will be more options once Earth 3.0 and Solar 3.0 come around. Uh, I do think stasis can be used in some of these missions, but for this one in particular, Tether, Nova Bomb, um, for Titans, Thunder Crash, if you want to be really, really, really uh, ballsy, uh, that would be a great option. Um, trying to think of other Titan options. Uh, Saint, did you did you even consider hammers at all, or were you mostly a Void guy? I was just going through all the different aspects and fragments. Yeah, I yeah. have no time to go back to hammers. Um, I was just using detonators, I believe, at this point to try to keep myself alive. And that was yep. a really helpful one for getting that health back when I was putting on my Titan for this fight. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. You don't need a super for any of these boss fights um, to deal damage. The weapons will do enough, especially if you're doing this solo. If you're planning on doing this in a duo or a trio, maybe have one person on your team spec into a damage dealing super. The, the health scaling does go up quite significantly, especially from two people to three people. So um, I definitely think that's probably a, a smart option. But for solo players, if you're trying to do this solo, a tether, a nova bomb is certainly helpful, but if you want to spec into something that's going to help you live for the ads for ad clear, that's also a very useful option, especially in that small room for Brutix. You will get through a lot of those ads immediately. I mean, a nova bomb in the floor is useful. Uh, you'll definitely take out plenty of the ads. So um, it, I think it will come down to personal preference. You do have a lot of options here. It's a, a really great that we have so many options for these fights, but the most important thing is don't get close to Brutix because he will win every single time. So that's all of it for Mission 3. I'm looking over my notes. I think I got everything. Yep, I did. So we're going to move on to the next mission. This is Mission 4, the Communion Court. What do you have for us there? Well, that is the uh, that's uh, one of the missions that starts on Europa, a little mm -hmm. flashback to uh, Beyond Light. Uh, it's a nice little starter as well. I will just say before we get onto the uh, the boss fights, there are some Imperial tanks, uh, big, big tanks to, that you have to deal with at the start. Uh, now, those can be a little bit tricky to deal with, uh, but I, uh, just while uh, you were talking about that previous mission, I did bring up a little bit of uh, uh, some helpful advice if you're having some problems with the tanks, any, any hacky weaponry. That, uh, the Hacky Breach Armament uh, Origin trait, uh, you do get a 15% uh, damage boost uh, to vehicles. Uh, so uh, I'm thinking right now is the uh, Stasis uh, Rocket Launcher, the Hacky Stasis Rocket Launcher. The uh, Palmyra B, I believe it is. That's it, yep. Uh, and if you have the option to unlock the uh, Psionic Forging 2 Artifact mod, that bumps it up to 30%. So, just a little advice, if you're having any problems with the uh, the, the big land Imperial tanks, uh, and uh, they will shred uh, those, as I did use them uh, for my solo run. Uh, now, if uh, 
Recall that I am the resident hunter. Uh, I <laughs> go and visit everywhere, which I was doing plenty of uh, during the uh, the entirety of this mission, uh, especially with the, uh, the the sort of mini-ish boss in the middle of the mission, and then obviously Valus Valgar, uh, uh, the the final boss. Uh, these rooms are uh, they do take place in the pyramid, so the rooms are a little bit more open to the previous mission. You do have a lot of options to uh, run away, pop your barrier, uh, or pop up down a rift behind some uh, cover. There is little bits of cover. I will just take a uh, little note of when you are progressing through this encounter. There are times when uh, parts of the world do phase in and out. Uh, I, I have been killed a few times by the, <laughs> <laughs> the platforms phasing in. <laughs> so just that was there just a second ago. Yes. Uh, so that's the, just to take that in mind. Uh, as for weapons during this encounter, I think Slitherhor is always a very good choice. Uh, you are going to be up against Cabal, and now Cabal are naturally very uh, muscle-bound, very hefty units. Uh, so you do want to bring in any weapons that pack a, uh, pack a punch. Uh, and Witherhorde is a very good weapon, as we know, with uh, just sustained uh, uh, constant damage over time. Uh, drop those uh, Witherhorde blights everywhere and just watch them uh, burn. Uh, again, Void weapons, with it being Void 3.0. The uh, Incendiors, the, uh, the Flamethrower uh, Cabal guys, they have Void shields. Uh, so you want to bring in your, your Void weapons and abilities. Uh, again, with with the class that I was, I may have had a little bit of an easier time to uh, the other classes. I'm not sure if you guys had any significant problems with this particular mission, but as an invis hunter doing it solo, I felt that a lot of, there was a lot more option to be a little bit more ballsy, if you want to say it. And that does go against what I was talking about earlier on, but uh, just becoming more... Uh, <laughs> Being invisible just to escape uh, an, uh, uh, a challenge against either the boss or a bunch of ads was super helpful. Uh, mm -hmm. For other classes, Tether, obviously with uh, Hunter, but Nova Bomb, just to clear out a bunch of ads. It's also a really good damage super against the bosses themselves. Uh, I will just say the bosses, they also follow the, the, three, uh, the three segmented health. Uh, the whole gimmick is that you go and interact with the radar systems, and that brings their shields down. Uh, again, another <laughs> another pro tip for the hunters: let them do that. They can go in this, interact with the radars, onto the next damage phase. Uh, stasis as well, just with the sheer amount of ads. I initially didn't think about Agra Sector when I went in there myself. Uh, I did eventually swap to it, and I was having a lot better time. Uh, now, also, this is we're we're really focusing on the void this season, but stasis is still a very super useful ad clearing uh, uh, class uh, for for all three subclasses, um, mm -hmm. revenant especially. Uh, just being able to pop down that uh, silence and scroll really really helpful. Uh, so, <laughs> I think the uh, the top. Uh, 
uh, the top advice for me is just be a, <laughs> just be a hunter and go invisible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, the, as we said before, we do have a new uh, fragment that unlocked uh, the ability to go invis for any class, not just hunter, but warlock and titan. Uh, so those uh, those classes can benefit from invis by finishing combatants, uh, and you can also pair that with the with the other uh, fragment that increases the uh, invisibility time up to yep. ten seconds. So. Very useful uh, fragments to uh, consider here, uh, but again, as uh, as we spoke about from the, the the sort of generalization of all these missions, is you do need to pace yourself. Cabal pack a big punch, uh, mm-hmm. as you want to stay clear from a bunch of uh, legionnaires, uh, and also, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be up close to them. Really pace yourself. The rooms are. They facilitate a long-range uh, uh, playstyle, so mm-hmm. utilize that. If you've got those high-damage weapons like rocket launchers that clear a bunch of ads, use them as well. Uh, the bosses, they do take a little bit of time to click away, but if you're, uh, if you're going in as a team, you want to make sure you're synergizing with the uh, ad-clearing potential and the pure damage uh, of Thunder Crash, Nova Bomb, uh, I wouldn't suggest Golden Gun just because of Void being really in a, a super useful uh, place for hunters, uh, but uh, just take that into consideration when you're going in there uh, as a trio. you got to watch out for the Scions, too. You know, they're not so deadly themselves, but they'll throw you into the air yep. and you just get obliterated by some, you know, centurion or something. I'm like just that. getting flashbacks of the uh, Leviathan raid way back in year one. <laughs> uh, oh, there goes court. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, again, just as a really generalized point here, just really pace yourself with this particular mission. You're not up against Hive, you're not up against Fallen, you're up against really bulky enemies. Uh, so you want to return the pack a punch and uh, utilize the long range, and of course use invis where possible. Same, we have uh, the uh, Europe uh, with the next mission, uh, mission six, the cunning. What's uh, what's your what's your feelings about that one? Now, <laughs> this is a mission you do want to rush. On the other hand, yeah. uh, <laughs> not something you want to take your time on. So. Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the kind of the other pre-mission parts of this, but I'm I'm really going to focus on the Termix boss fight. The no, I'm just going to say this is the boss fight in which I died the most on yeah. my playthrough of the Legendary <laughs> Campaign. Just put it right out there. Uh, it took me a while to get the strat down and figure out how was I going to survive this and where did I need to go to live long enough and how much damage can I take. So. It's a tough one, and kind of the ending strategy I settled on was just nuke the boss and don't try to live through anything, because if you're alone, it's going to be really difficult to um, basically survive all the ads that kind of uh, start to flood the arena. The way this encounter mainly plays out is you kind of start at the back of a really large arena with a good amount of pillars in it. The boss comes out from the back middle door, and uh, as soon as he steps out of the arena, he is vulnerable. And then after just a moment, the boss starts to move forward to the arena. You will have ads that start to come out of either side doorway, I believe. 
There are, you know, some smaller scorn ads, some screeds and things like that, as well as some captains that start running out of these doorways towards you. Um, and you pretty much immediately need to start paying attention to these ads after you've gone through a few heavy rounds, unless you can just absolutely fully commit to the bake of the boss. Um, and I kind of, the, the round that I did this successfully, I, um, this is kind of like a, a, a strat to place the bubble down in the middle of the scenario where you're running through and then dip in and out, right? So I put the bubble kind of in the middle behind the pillar um, and would use a Titan Barricade on the left side, you know, shoot two rockets at the boss, throw a, uh, or throw a debuff grenade, shoot two rockets at the boss, run through my thing, uh, get another weapons of light, shoot two more rockets, go to the other pillar, move to the back of the room, shoot two more rockets, and eventually I just managed to kill the boss before all the ads could get to me. So I think that is going to definitely be the easiest strat. Um, you could absolutely go for something like Thunder Crash if you're able to deal a ton of damage. I would also say um, if you are in a fire team, I would be much more likely to use Thunder Crash and just try to chunk down the boss like that. As a solo, I'm a little more, you know, much more uh, put my wall up, put my bubble up, you know, due to DPS from the back type of a, you know, survivability state, but it can definitely be a really frustrating boss fight with his sniper and the way that that will hit you. It doesn't seem like it will quite one-shot you, but man, it will take an absolutely massive chunk of your health down. So you're running around the arena, you get caught off guard, you get a little damage dealt to you by a totem from a scorn captain, and then the boss just smacks you right out of the air. So can definitely be a frustrating one. Try to play the cover as much as you can, and try to build into just absolutely nuking the boss if you can, and avoiding having to deal with the ads that spawn through both of the side hallways. Uh, Court Bird, what works for you guys to finally take down Termix the Cyber Score? Yeah, I mean, for the Warlocks, um, I did do a Nova Bomb right off the rip just to get a big chunk of the health out of the way, and then um, I ran through the whole thing with Controverse Hold as my, my armor exotic of choice, so I was really specking into Devour. I'd throw out some grenades just to the sides where the enemies, the ad, ad spawn, mm -hmm. uh, get Devour procs, get that health back, get more grenades going, and then really I just started sprinkling grenades all over the map and hoping that uh, <laughs> that he would run through them or that I could get more ads running through them. Um, it, yeah, it, this is definitely a, it goes from zero to a thousand right away. So it, you kind of have to be ready for that, but then also have to be ready for the fact that things can go wrong for you halfway through the run. So a lot of lot of practice, a lot of deaths, lot lot of deaths. <laughs> this one's hard, but uh, it's it's a it's a fun fight. He does move around a lot. That score crossbow is no joke. So um, yeah, you just got to keep going as fast as him, really. Yeah, I think this is. For me as a hunter, uh, Invis not really as useful here just with the sheer amount of uh, uh, ad potential that are throwing grenades everywhere. So I completely agree with the whole, like, you want to burst him down ASAP uh, and really pacing yourself around this area uh, is super important. For me, uh, this was maybe, barring the, the, the last mission, this is probably the, the second highest death I had running through the Legendary campaign um, just because it's 
Okay, it's just a very close environment. And, you know, the Scorn are really just, they're such a pain to deal with. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they rush you. They just come right at you out of those spawns on the left and right sides. Yeah. Immediately after that, in Mission 6, there is another boss fight, pretty much. You know, you, we, we're turning around and we're fighting a Ahamkara, which is kind of reminiscent of a Last Wish boss stage, if you are familiar with that raid at all. Um, this is definitely a different one that's going to be much harder to just burn down right away. In this fight, I, you know, well, the, the crowd control aspect is definitely very important. Um, this was a scenario in which uh, I'm sure Devour would have been awesome, like uh, Bird was just talking about for me, that was controlled demolitionists, you know, and, and running grenades or chaining to different enemies and things like that, um, as well as a linear fusion that I was using on the boss, easy to hit the boss with. You don't have to worry about the eyes like you do with Riven, but um, it, there's a lot of just trees running at you, so you have to be super mobile as you're in this room. Uh, while you're also kind of dodging the fire attacks and things like that that are coming down from the Amkara. So there, it's not quite as, as one-shot kill as the previous boss fight, but there are a lot of different threats between, you know, the abominations slamming the floor, the streets are exploding, the Amkara illusion is, you know, spewing fire out of its mouth. So a lot of different threats to watch out for. Um, you know, all that survivability stuff is kind of getting, it can be super useful. Um, I... Like I said, use a linear fusion for the most part, and then was, I think, using a likely suspect to just wipe out a lot of the enemies nearby and, and avoid damage builds and stuff like that. So, uh, nice to have a good special weapon you can chunk down enemies with that, you know, you won't have to necessarily, or, you know, and it also has something you can use for the boss for, um, you know, bringing yourself a chain reaction grenade launcher or something like that to help clear out those bigger enemies. Um, and maybe like a Vorpal Sniper to deal some chunk damage to the Amkara when you have a chance. So definitely another fight that's going to keep you much more on your toes going back to kind of that earlier part in the campaign. Um, going to be moving around a ton and just trying to stay alive from the screeds that are just constantly exploding all over the place while you try to fight the dragon. So another hectic one and another one that is going to require you to be really mobile. Um, and I think that's all about, I have to say, for Yankara, it's, you know, it's not going to move on you. It is one of those classic bosses on a pedestal, as the uh, court would say. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, I think that's, that's about all I have for the Yankara one. Nothing, nothing too crazy there. Um, and that's about all I have to say for Mission 6. Some tough bosses, but otherwise not too bad. All right, so that brings us to the final mission, the eighth one, the ritual. This is where you will go up against Savathun herself and her army of hive. This one can be a long one, and again, that's okay. Um, there's no timer. There's no enraged state. If you need to, you know, get a tiny bit of damage in here and then run around to the other side of the room to do a little bit more damage, that's great. She'll stay alive. Um, so... Something to be aware of, uh, the wizards that will show up in the very end, the final, final part of the fight with Sabathun have solar shields. So um, you'll want to maybe have a solar weapon. I actually used uh, Tiku's Divination to quickly pop down the wizards at the very end and then also to get a little bit of free tick damage um, against Sabathun herself. And then I had a linear fusion rifle for my heavy. So... Uh, Figure out what works for you. Um, uh, you know, your, your uh, equipment isn't locked at any point during the campaign, so if you need to make a switch on the fly, you're welcome to do that. Um, 
the first, uh, the opening part of the fight against Savathun, there are going to be three Lightbearer Hive Guardians that appear. Uh, one for each class. You'll have the Hunter, the Warlock, and the Titan. This can be pretty rough because they, again, are very aggressive. So um, you will have little rooms that show up in the four corners of the rectangular map. Um, you can go hide in those. I think in one of my runs, I think it was on the Hunter, I did have the Titan rush me while I was in the room. I don't think he came in, but he got right up close, and then he was, of course, in super. He threw his shield, and it ricocheted all around the room and, and got me. So just something to be aware of that you, you probably don't want to stay in a room for too long when you're dealing with the three light bearers. Um, and uh, this is a big, a big recommendation for the void fragment that lets you go invisible when you finish an enemy. Uh, that's going to be huge when you're dealing with these light bearers. You can go in and finish the ghost. You can also profit when you finish the light bearer itself. So just do another finisher for the ghost. Go invisible. Um, if they do like to kind of stick together, so I think I ended up having the warlock as my last one to deal with, and I downed the hunter, and it was right next to the warlock. So uh, I got the finish in, went invisible, ran for my life as the warlock was raining lightning down on me. So again, play whatever works for you. Figure out what works. If you're able to just kind of go in there and stay alive, you can get an overshield, uh, just tank it out, or if you need to go invisible. Devour is going to be huge here. You will have some enemies that spawn on the far sides of the room um, in between the two rooms that are on the left and the two rooms that are on the right, um, some red bars, and I think maybe one major enemy. So you can you can kill those for ammo. I don't think I really had any ammo issues in this fight, which was uh, a pleasant surprise. I don't know if you guys had any an ammo issues when you were doing your runs. Um, it was pretty generous, I felt like, at least for my special and my heavy weapons. But, uh, again, something to be aware of. Wither Horde is going to be great here. Um, I think Galahorn would be an excellent option if you've got plenty of heavy ammo or a way to generate heavy ammo consistently for yourself or your fire team. Uh, you can use that on the wizards for the solar <laughs> for the solar shields. Uh, that's going to do tremendous damage against Savathun. Um, far, as far as subclasses, Void is going to be fantastic here. This is actually one boss fight where a well or a bubble could work, um, you will just need to make sure that you're going to be in Sabathun's bubble when you go to damage her. So um, I, I, I would probably, if you're going to go with a well or a bubble, probably do the well or bubble outside of her bubble and then run in when you've got your weapons of light to do your damage and then you can run back out when she starts firing at you. Um, I think also, though, you know, a Nova Bomb, a Tether is going to be great here. All the other things that we've been recommending so far, these are all phenomenal options. Uh, it will just really depend on the number of people that you have in your team. Uh, when you get to the final damage phase, there are some options here for how you want to do this. So um, the way that the mechanics work is you're going to have three wizards that spawn, uh, one on the right, one on the left, and the one in the back, and you're going to be running around and killing those wizards. When you kill the wizards, you get a buff called Thread Cutter that will stack up to three. That is how you will end up doing extra damage to Sabathun, and you're going to need that extra damage, especially on the solo, uh, but also for uh, group teams. That's how you're going to be able to do big, big damage, uh, essentially for free. Now, when you get to the third stack of Thread Cutter, when you have killed the third wizard, you will get, I believe it's a 30-second timer. Is that correct, fellas? Is it 30 seconds? Does that sound right? Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, about 30 seconds, uh, and then the buff will go away, and you'll have to kill the three wizards. So you will do your most amount of damage when you have Thread Cutter times three, but, again, 
if you're a little nervous, you're, you want to play it a little cautious, you can keep the damage at times two and leave one of the wizards up and then just do the entire fight. It's going to take twice as long, um, but you'll always have the damage phase up. Again, you need to be inside her purple bubble in order to do damage to her. But at times two on solo, it's doable. I think I did that on my hunter just because I was running around so much. So I, I hit her with uh, Tiku's and then uh, I ended up swat, swat, swapping to uh, Wither Horde and hit her with that. And then we just kind of run around in her bubble invisible while she takes it down. Um, if you're in a fire team, I think you should probably go for the thread cutter times three. The She just has so much health. Uh, when you're in a fire team of three, even when you're in a fire team of two. So getting that extra damage as much as possible, you can do it in about three or four damage phases if you take advantage of the times three for 30 seconds. So it's not too hard. It's a long fight, and that's fine. Again, it doesn't matter how long it takes you. The important thing is you just need to stay alive, and you need to be moving because Sabathun will be coming towards you during the fight, she's going to be spamming supers. Her intellect's probably like 10,000 at the rate of recharges. <laughs> it's crazy. She's got flaming swords. She's got the arc balls and then the arc storm. And then she also throws out a Nova Bomb projectile at you that will uh, push you away when it hits you. So just be aware of those. Dodge those. They hurt a lot. Um, if you're using a rocket launcher with lasting impression, remember, you need to be in the purple bubble when the explosion goes off, because if you step out, you're going to get immune and waste a whole rocket. So that's really the, the one mechanic that you kind of have to get down. The purple shield's really easy to see. You'll know when you're in it. There's a sound cue whenever you step in and out of the bubble. Um, she does like to move around. She will move away from you at some point, so you will need to be kind of moving around the uh, arena doing damage to her. You'll get it, you'll figure it out as you're, as you're getting in there and playing around, but uh, it's... It, I was a little underwhelmed by the mechanics of the fight. It wasn't, uh, it felt a little underwhelming to fight Sabathun this way, but um, for the legendary campaign, if you're just going for that solo clear, it, it is actually a pretty easy, simple, straightforward fight, and uh, that can be very reassuring for some of our people that don't play PvE a lot. Fellas, you got anything else to add for that final fight? Any other tips, recommendations? Uh... Just take your time, work around the arena. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just echoing what we've been saying this whole time. It's all about survivability and just pacing yourself. Like you know, mm. some of these missions are just uh, trying to go gun gun slow, and some of these are just you're always going to fail. Uh, and you know, some people may die a lot, and you need to learn your, from your mistakes. Uh, again, it's another kind of topic that you guys discussed in the, uh, the raid episode a few episodes is, you know, learn from your mistakes and take that uh, lesson and write, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, and this applies to all the, the missions that we've discussed here. Um, they will, for us, you know, we are the sort of resident PvE squad, but for, for those that are brand new to this, like, content, this type of content, you probably will get your, you will get your uh, uh, deaths in there. You, you'll get plenty of deaths, which is which is fine. It's absolutely fine. But if you learn from them, you can take that lesson to the next time you do it. Uh, I, I think I don't. I'm not sure if we've we've said this before, uh, but we may have mentioned this in a previous episode where the game is very. Um, uh, it, it, the game's very uh, fair with uh, 
checkpoints, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. During these missions, you can come back to checkpoints if you've run out of time, if you, you decide want to take a little break during yep. a, a mission, any of these missions, the game will give you a nice uh, and uh, uh, fair checkpoint. Uh, I'm not, I never really saw any issues with uh, coming back to do a mission uh, halfway through it, but uh, the times that I did, uh, the, the game was very fair with, uh, with putting me in a, in a favourable spot. Uh, and of course, the uh, the 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 banner for uh, getting your full super and your your ammo is completely free. Doesn't take any uh, any raid banners at all. They those particular banners are uh, free and uh, utilize utilize them all the time. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to yeah. be going into these fights with uh, no ammo <laughs> or super. It's a whole other kind of challenge. Uh, yeah, you're welcome to take that on in your own time. But yeah, banners are free. Um, and every time you do see a banner on the ground, that's that's a checkpoint marker right there. Yeah. So yeah. that's uh, that'll be a good good sign for you to know where you're coming back to if you have to take a, a break, step away. All right, that's the legendary campaign. Those are the tough spots. If you got any questions, you're welcome to reach out to us. We'll try to do our best to answer them. We're going to move on to the Throne World weapons. There are ten of these. Uh, some of them come from Wellspring. That's a uh, point of contention <laughs> in the community uh, due to the previous drop rates or the lack of drop rates, I should say. Um, some of them are good for PvE. Some of them are great for PvP. Um, we're going to start with our kinetics. We've got empirical evidence. This is an aggressive burst sidearm. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Uh, we here at Podcast vs. Enemies don't look down at sidearms too kindly. Uh, <laughs> it's about the nicest way I can put that. Um, there's there's just better options. There are a lot. Everything else is better. Everything else. Hey, they, uh, you know, they have a place in the game. It's just not my loadout. All right. Yeah. <laughs> the only, um, only sidearm I like is Rat King. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The exotic ones is a different, different story. Yeah. But for the legendary ones, uh, pass. So if you if you really if you really like sidearms and you want to know what to look for, uh, this one can get uh, perpetual motion in the third column, uh, tunnel vision. I guess if you really want to control your your handling, uh, there's also swashbuckler, thresh, harmony, and adagio in the final column, uh, the damage per column. Those are the ones that really jump out to me. Swashbuckler, it makes a lot of sense on sidearms. You're going to be kind of within melee range if you're using these uh, within their tended, intended distances. So um, that's typically something that I look for. I have a few sidearms that I kind of hold on to for um, Vanguard and Gunsmith bounties, and that's about it. So, um, yeah, it's craftable, cool, but uh, I really, really don't think I'm ever going to use it. Um, one thing I am going to use is the Fell Teradiddle. That is the lightweight frame bow, also in the kinetic slot. If you have been doing some Garden of Salvations, or if you did a bunch in the past and you never got a sweet accrued redemption to drop for you, uh, I'm probably going to point you towards this bow. This has got some really solid perks. Um, it is a lightweight frame. That's one of the weaker frames uh, for bows. Uh, Accrued Redemption is, of course, the precision frame. That's, I think, everyone's preferred frame for bows. But in terms of the perks, in the third column, for PvE and uh, actually and for PvP, Archer's Tempo is just kind of the oldie but a goldie. Um, so helpful. 
draw time decreases with every precision hit. It's just hits. That's wonderful, especially for champions. We do have a champion mod for bows this season, so uh, I'm going to be looking for an archer's tempo roll. What I'm going to pair with Archer's Tempo, now this is where things get a little interesting. So we do have Explosive Head. Again, that's the kind of the oldie but a goldie. Uh, great for stunning champions. You get that slightly delayed explosion. Really great for dealing with overloads and barriers. Um, we also have Successful Warm-Up. This is a new perk. Each final blow increases charge or draw increases charge or draw speed. Uh, I believe that means it makes it faster, right? They, they say decreases is what they meant to say. Yeah, increases. That's right. Yeah. Um, so this is really fun if you pair it with Archer's Tempo and you can start spamming bow shots. Uh, it's it's really funny that the animation is practically canceled uh, for the full draw. Uh, really really fun to watch. But um, if you're looking to do a lot of Quick ad clear with bows, which is not something that they've normally been very good at. Uh, this is the role for you, so go wild. You've got one for all. Again, bows do kind of take a while to hit separate targets, but that is a solid 35% bonus after hitting three separate targets for 10 seconds. Um, and again, you can get enhanced versions. These will increase durations and effects. Uh, you've got Adrenaline Junkie, another great perk, um, something to pair with uh, Archer's Tempo. I would say that you could probably, yeah, cornered is the one that I'm looking at, and now I'm starting to, uh, now I'm starting to think here. Faster charge time or draw time when surrounded by combatants? Oh, now we could really speed things up, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a, a full 100 milliseconds off the draw time too, isn't it? Okay, right? okay, interesting, interesting. It's a roll. You're welcome to you're welcome to try it. Archer's tempo uh, cornered for uh, for max spam. Um, again, you have to be close to enemies. That can be risky, especially in high end PVE. So I think the safe bet would be probably Archer's tempo and explosive head. Um, but adrenaline junkie's great. Successful warm up probably maybe more of a PVP perk. But again, if it works for you, great. I won't judge you. We're gonna move on to the forensic nightmare. This is a precision frame. SMG, this is a stasis weapon, so I'm um, looking immediately in the fourth column and I see the perk that I want to see, that is Headstone. Uh, love Headstone, great perk. On the SMG, on this SMG in particular, uh, it is solid, it is my recommendation, but I'm probably going to look for other stasis weapons in place of this. Uh, obviously, IS Luna is kind of the big one that maybe most people are familiar with. It's a phenomenal weapon, phenomenal rolls, does have Headstone, it's great. Uh, you can get some really great synergies with Forensic, but I think just due to the fact that the magazine size is so small, even with Extended Mag, you're only at 30 bullets, and there's no way to increase it with a perk like Overflow or Subsistence. You do just get through that ammo so quickly, so um, once you get those Stasis Crystals spawned, you either need to reload or swap to another weapon to quickly shoot them for the explosion to really proc stuff, um, so just just something to be aware of. Uh, I have I think under pressure headstone with extended mag on my crafted one, and it it works. It definitely it's not terrible, but it's it's not great. I think I would recommend uh, you know the new raid SMG or something like extraordinary rendition right now in the kinetic slot. These are just really solid options. Um, even though this one is stasis. It's, it's middle of the road, and that's fine, but uh, I think there are some better options for in-game PvE. 
I definitely, uh, I definitely think that's a weapon that really needs that whisper of rending that allows your primaries to do more damage to crystals. It's yeah. the kind of thing that without it, it's okay. And when you add in that extra little bit of damage and you can manage to create and then also pop the crystal before you have to reload, that rending can push you over the edge. So it does take, you know, kind of needs a little, maybe needs a little help. But yeah, we'll set up. It can be good. Yeah, it can be good with the rending. Yep, and like empirical evidence, as an SMG, this is uh, kind of a close-range weapon. So we do have Grave Robber. We do have Swashbuckler. You can definitely go that route, get that synergy going uh, for more melee-focused build. If you're maybe a safe site and then you, you love doing your, your charger punches, uh, maybe pair that with uh, the Forensic Nightmare. Uh, see how it works for you. There's some options. Again, just figure out what works for you. Uh, the last one I'm going to talk about before I pass it off to Saint is going to be the high-impact auto rifle come to pass. High-impact auto rifles are in a, an interesting spot. Um, we have plenty of other auto rifle archetypes, especially ones that have dropped this expansion in this season that I think just straight-up outclass come to pass. Um, there are some really solid perk combinations, but the 23 stability is... A real pain. Yes, you can use this at great ranges. That is useful. We do have overload auto rifle this season, um, so it, it definitely could have a place in your loadout for end game PVE for champions. But even with a perk combination like stats for all and one for all, while I am getting those boosts to my stability handling, reload, and range with stats for all. I'm going to be looking at other Arc Auto Rifles. Uh, we had the... Um, uh, they got the seasonal one, too. Right? Yeah, the seasonal one, the 720, is also mm. an Arc Auto Rifle. Also gets stats for all, one for all, and some other really incredible perks. I can't wait to talk about that when we do the seasonal weapons. That's honestly the Arc Auto Rifle I'm going to push you guys towards to overcome the path. I mean, yes, you can craft this one. Yes, you do get triple tap. You have adaptive munitions. Golden Tricorn, I mean, when Arc 3.0 comes around and we get fragments and aspects, I do think Golden Tricorn on an Arc uh, weapon is going to be nice, and having it on an Arc primary is great. But again, it, it's a high-impact auto rifle. It, it, there's a lot to, there's, there's a hurdle to get over if you're going to make this thing work for you. You can make it work for you, but I'm probably going to push you towards um, the Sweet Sorrow. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's rough. It looks cool. I love the design of these weapons, but the 23 stability and kind of the slow rate of fire, really, it, it's hard for me to get around that for the high-impact auto rifle family. Saint, what do we have for uh, void weapons? You know, it's funny that you ask because I'm really going to go into a very similar stance on this next weapon, which is pointed inquiry. Pointed Inquiry is a high-impact 150 RPM Void Scout Rifle, and it's a really similar situation to the Compass Pass. You have some really interesting perk combinations that can roll in this weapon, some new traits that are available in the game can come in this weapon, um, and also just some generally useful ones. Um, right off the bat, I'm seeing, you know, Genesis and Turnabout. You know, you could be getting a lot of overshield and some kind of a PVE situation. Uh, shoot to loot could be really useful. Um, adaptive munitions obviously is great as kind of the antique mash game perk as it, um, as it is known. So, really interesting perk combos on this, but it, it suffers from its archetype nature. It just can't really deal quite enough damage. Um, 
compared to some other weapons in its same scout rifle class of other uh, RPM archetypes that are just going to be far superior. Um, another combination that I do want to shout out is Four Times a Charm and Focus Fury. If you're looking for some kind of um, champion damage build or something like that, it um, it could be a good way to kind of like lay into a champion if you're hitting the right one. Uh, if either your Colossus comes to mind, it's something that is really it has really easy uh, crits to hit. Um, and the reason I want to bring that up specifically is because of how Focus Fury works. I believe it is a it's a 20% damage buff and it will proc off of half of the base magazine. So perks like third times a charm, or, or uh, you know, tri- triple tap, third times a charm. I just kind of uh, combine those two together, man. Anyways, four times a charm and triple tap are both work really well with a perk like Focus Fury because it's allowing you to get that same damage buff on a lot more shots because it only needs that seven rounds to activate. In this case, we've got a 13-round base magazine. Uh, so I believe it would be seven rounds to activate initially. And then you can keep those crits going on the champions. You know, you've got a 20% buff up against it. Um, unfortunately, there is another perk in the game called Vorpal, which also just does 20% damage against champions all the time. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, probably in a few weeks we are going to touch on a new Void Scout Rifle that has come to the Trials Pool that is going to be uh, the superior choice here if you are looking for a Void Scout, but we're going to save that for another episode for now. Moving on, the next weapon we are taking a look at is the Father's Sins. This is a Void Rapid Fire Frame 140 RPM sniper rifle, and it also has some interesting perks. Uh, 140 RPM snipers are definitely a much better weapon when it comes to overall DPS against a boss. They are not huge in the current meta when it comes to PvE damage dealing, things like that, but... Um, this is a weapon that you can benefit from volatile rounds, and if you're using, a, you know, elemental charge, uh, anything like that, um, or quantum of might, I should say, you know, combining it with a void subclass and a lot of things that seem to be going around like that in the sandbox, Father Sins could definitely be an interesting choice. Um, there are some perks that I don't think that we've seen a lot of sniper rifles before, um, definitely not on a, a void rapid one like this. We have uh, triple tap along with focus fury, which, uh, you know, as we were kind of talking about on the stat rifle just before this, definitely interesting damage or DPS option. If you are looking to just have a massive amount of ammo, you could go for something like lead from gold or field prep. And then we also have uh, rampage on the fourth column. So, Kind of some more ad clearing potential there, uh, or if you wanted to go, you know, like we were talking about for some kind of DPS build, um, you can lean into the volatile flow and some Phantom Might and things like that. So not a terrible choice. Um, it definitely also has a lot of PvP focus. There are first like under pressure uh, in the final column. There's Eye of Storm, opening shot, snapshot. Um, you know, just a lot of PvP focus first there. It's I believe also is really low zoom for a sniper rifle. I, if you are a listener of the original Massive Breakdown show, you know that zoom is a very important stat for weapons. So if you are somebody that likes very low zoom weapons, this is, uh, I believe, a unique standout for a 35 stat zoom is, is very low for uh, snipers, even for rapid fire frames. So um, 
Crucible Sniper PvP Zoom stat aficionados. Please correct me if I am wrong there, but I believe 35 is quite low for a sniper. I think that about does it for Father Sins. Next up is what I'm actually really excited about. I think I think this is probably my favorite or second favorite weapon in this list is the Likely Suspect. The Likely Suspect is a void rapid-fire frame fusion rifle with that base 460 millisecond charge time, and boy, does it have a lot of good perk combinations. Um, after the general fusion rifle rework, and then we brought in a fusion rifle mod after it, fusion rifles were just so hot. Turns out rapid-fire fusion rifles are still good, even without particle deconstruction, and this one is no exception. Uh, starting off, we have that one-for-all, stats-for-all combo of just really incredible, um, we got handling, stability, reload, and range from your stats, and then also that 35 uh, or 30% damage increase from the one-for-all. And I really like that combination, especially on a rapid-fire frame fusion like this, because it's so easy to spray those bolts around and, and really quickly proc those two perks. Whereas something, like we were talking about earlier, the bow, it has the same perk combination, which can be really nice, but hitting three shots in a row on three different targets with your bow versus just spraying your fusion rifle into, the, into a, you know, group of taken, really easy to proc that uh, stats for all and one for all combination there. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention is Golden Tricorn. This is something that we talked about way back in our early episode of how high damage potential it has, but kind of the tough situation getting into um, its, 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 you know, its full stack. So when you get a weapon kill, it is a 15% damage increase. Okay, that's pretty good. You know, a few stacks of uh, Rampage or a couple stacks of most damage perks. And then when you get an ability kill on top of that, it bumps it up all the way to 50% for 10 seconds. Normally, we, as you know, we said in the past, it's something that's really hard to build into, but we happen to be in a sandbox where void abilities are really strong and have lots of uptime. So right now, building into some grenade and uh, fusion build here with Golden Tricorn on a really high uptime is actually pretty realistic. If you're throwing Vortex debuffing grenades at groups of enemies, it's going to eat them for lunch. It's going to devour those guys up. And all you need to do is, you know, you jump into the encounter, one fusion rifle kill, you throw a grenade just like you would for, um, you know, procking up some kind of adrenaline junkie or something like that, except now instead of capping at um, 33, I believe, adrenaline junkie caps yep. out like a lot of those other damage perks, you know, you're capping out at 50 with an already pretty good um, weapon and we were talking about a weapon perk, which is very important when we're when we're thinking about uh, damage stacking, right? Because that one perk from your weapon, whether that is 15% from frenzy or um, you know you're you're using one for all for its 35%, or in this case golden tricorn for its 50%, you can only have one of those applied to your weapon, and this is as high as it gets. So again, for, it, oh, sorry, just to just to echo what you said there about like the. Uh, uh, the matching ability kill. Obviously, yeah, we're in the Void 3.0 sandbox, and very, <coughs> I, I started doing a little bit of uh, playtesting with uh, Warlock and Titan, and I noticed with Titan pairing with the uh, Heart of Inmost Light, you're going to have your abilities up all the time. So yep. you could potentially, mm -hmm. theoretically, have that 50% up constantly. 
Oh, yeah, because all you need is a, you know, you keep throwing yep. a little shield throw, a little grenade, you keep that perpetuating. There's so much synergy with the Void Sandbox as well, with all the fragments and particular aspects as well, where you, you will have your grenade slash me- your grenade and or melee up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not so much for hunters. Hunters have a little bit more difficulty to keep their abilities up all the time. But for warlocks and titans, titans especially, pairing with the heart, heart of the most light, you've got your abilities all the time. So that, yeah, uh, as long as you can get that refresh uh, of a grenade or a melee kill within that 10 seconds, you'll keep that 50%. It refreshes back up to 10 seconds. Uh, so I just wanted to echo that. Yeah. Really if there's ever a weapon to put Golden Tricorn on, this is it yeah. right here. Go put it on there, use it in your Void 3.0 build, and have a lot of fun with it. Follow us around. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like it has Reservoir Burst on top of the 50%. If yeah. you needed more, here's an extra 20% damage increase, and it explodes, okay? Um, it's nuts. Yeah. Some honorable mention perks are successful warm-up in Adagio. They, you know, they do opposite things, right? So successful warm-up is going to vastly increase your charge time uh, upon a successful kill, and then Adagio is going to do the opposite of that. It is a 30% damage increase with a 50% um, increase in charge time as well. So it kind of balances that out, but again, you're getting overall, uh, you know, solid damage increase there for total damage output or for successful warm-up, putting out some burst ATS, you know, kill a small enemy, and then quick burst against a larger one. Um, as far as third slot goes, honorable mentions, other than stats for all, I would say probably uh, perpetual motion or ensemble are just generally nice for some reloads and things like that. Um, firmly planted is more of a crucible perk, but it really gives you really tight bolt groupings. If that is not something you want, personally, I'm you know, talking about like the stats for all per, um, build with this and spraying things. I don't, you know, I don't want Fermi Planet. Like, I want the spray of, of bolts in a lot of situations. Um, but yeah, great weapon. Definitely get in there and try to get yourself a uh, likely suspect with Golden Tricorn or go craft yourself one. Uh, not really sure what the enhanced version of that does, but I think Jerry's still out on a lot of the enhanced, so... We'll be we'll be coming back to these if we think there is a you know ever an enhanced perk that um, is really worth it, which is actually a good transition into the last weapon that I'll talk about in this jump before Port rounds it out, which is the Enigma. It is a weapon that everybody gets their hands on pretty early on into the campaign. It's the first blade that we get access to, and it's a super interesting weapon with a generally good pool of perks that you can choose from in craft. I don't believe that there's any way to get this weapon to drop in the wild. I haven't seen any drops of the Enigma. I'm pretty sure it's strictly a crafted weapon, um, which is, you know, unique. It's, it's honestly like a lot of exotics and things like that as far as its source goes. Um, you'll get one early on in the campaign, level that thing up, and then you will eventually, you know, be able to put some enhanced traits into it and things like that. This is actually one of the few enhanced traits that I have had people repeatedly recommend to me is Impulse Amplifier on the Glaive. I'm not really sure how much Enhanced Impulse Amplifier does over the normal version, but uh, Impulse Amplifier as a perk on this weapon is just an absolute S-tier pick. Um, to talk a little bit about the Glaive as a whole, you know, it has it has a, a, a shooting aspect to it. It's 55 RPM, like a... a um, 
also like a slug shotgun, I guess, is the closest thing that it, it would compare to in the game, as far as like the, the RPM and the damage that it would deal, but it has this like energy ball projectile that has, to be honest with you, a pretty slow... Um, Pretty slow velocity, it feels like, when it is traveling across your screen, and it's, it's, um, it is not hit scan, right? So you actually have to account for its travel time. When you put impulse amplifier on the weapon, not only does it help with the reload, which can feel a bit sluggish, but also it cranks that velocity on the projectile through the roof, and it makes it so easy to hit with the glaive, which is what you're going to need to do if you want to proc volatile rounds off this thing. So, Hitting people, uh, you can use suppressive glaive and, and, and all that by, by just using the melee aspect of the glaive. But if you want that volatile round, you're going to have to be shooting these projectiles. And if you want to actually be hitting your projectiles at more than 10 meters, um, reach for impulse amplifier. There are, you know, threat detector and subsistence and grave robber on this as well. Those are all fine, column three first, but I really think that one takes the cake. Uh, just as far as ease of use of the weapon and the reload speed are both just really great options there. On the final slot, I am probably going to gravitate towards uh, Frenzy, just because of the way that I'm using this and or unrelenting as a way to keep myself in combat for a long time. Obviously, Frenzy is giving you that 15% damage buff and then a increase in reload and handling speed. And then you've got Unrelenting, which is the uh, health regeneration perk for when you're taking down enemies. Um, it'll give you a chunk of health every time you take down three minor adds or, you know, I think one larger enemy or, you know, there's kind of a balance there between the heart of the enemy. Um, you know, if it's an elite or something, you only have to take down one or two, it'll regen you health. Smaller enemies will take down or regen health a lot quicker or after three kills. Um, so if you're in there melee, mixing it up, looking for a high survivability, I would definitely recommend Unrelenting because you can just smack through the thralls and be healing yourself for days. A very uh, very tightened thing of you to do, if you will. Um, and then uh, also just Frenzy, like I said, for um, just even furthering that reload speed and getting some damage input on top of uh, your impulse amplifier. There's also some other damage-increasing perks, which include Kill Clip, Unstoppable Force, and Rampage. Unstoppable Force is a new Glaive perk. This is a perk that increases your damage after you block damage with the Glaive's shield function. Uh, Rampage and Kill Clip, definitely not new. The I'm not super keen on constantly reloading my Glaive, which is why Kill Clip just doesn't really appeal to me. Um, Rampage uh, is definitely an option if you don't want to go for Frenzy. We'll stack up to about 33%. Um, really cool weapon. I think, you know, everybody's kind of enjoying the glaive as a new archetype. There is a few more new glaives in the game, and we'll be touching on those in some later episodes, but those also have some interesting unique perks. Um, for now, we're just going to round it out with the heavy weapons available from the Throne World Corp. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we've got two here. We've got a uh, rapid uh, frame grenade launcher and the red herring. Uh, rocket launcher. I'm going to start with the uh, the grenade launcher. Uh, it's not. It's, it's definitely not a uh, damage or DPS grenade launcher. It's going to be your salvager salvo, but heavy uh, type <laughs> of uh, grenade launcher here. Uh, so I've uh, decided to pivot into more of a uh, get as much ammo uh, and uh, explosions. Uh, so we've got. Um, 
fuel prep or clown uh, cartridge just to bump up as much ammo you've got and once you reload with clown cartridge you get a, a random amount of uh, uh, reserves into your, your main uh, uh, magazine uh, and then using chain reaction for that uh, for that AOE explosion uh, hmm. again just want to stress that this is definitely not a, a damage grenade launcher uh, which is a shame uh, I don't think grenade launchers are really it post it, at least post um, breach and clear grenade launchers have really settled back down to being quite uh, sort of middling uh, heavy uh, but if you if that's more of your style of rocking a grenade launcher into some uh, sort of low and middle tier content uh, then this would probably be your um, uh, your shout Mostly it is an arc grenade launcher, uh, so whatever arc stuff that we plan to get with the uh, the arc rework coming later this year may play into this. Uh, I think uh, the sandbox team have, have stated that uh, arc's going to be more pivoted towards quickness and burst damage and electric and that. So this may be something to use in the future, uh, but uh, but yeah, I would. Maybe just like a, a small honourable mention, one for all is part of this uh, perk pool, uh, so you could pair that. You can easily get uh, the three hits uh, with a uh, a group of ads, uh, so you could use that 35% one for all damage perk uh, just for some quick burstness with the um, whatever magazine you have at the time. Uh, but I think for a slightly better version of a heavy weapon would be the red herring. Uh, this is a void uh, adapter frame. Uh, before I talk about the adapter frame, uh, or this, the red herring itself, I do want to point out that uh, we, we knew about the, uh, <clears throat> the, the slight changes to uh, the frames for rocket launchers. Uh, so aggressive and adaptive frames get 5% damage over high impact and uh, precision, uh, so this would be a much better damaging rocket launcher. The only problem that was discovered, and I, I will uh, shout out his name, is Rock DC, who uh, is one of the uh, one of many solid science guys I uh, collaborate with in the science chat and massive breakdowns Discord. He discovered that uh, the 5% damage isn't applying to the explosion, which is also the most important part of the <laughs> rocket launcher. <laughs> so right now it's only applying to impact, so there's this very small gap between uh, precision frames, which is your less damage, but you get the uh, intrinsic uh, tracking, and your adaptive and aggressive frames. Uh, so, as of and in my head, I'm thinking, surely that's not intended, right? No, I, I don't it's supposed to be total damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, at least it was described to be we're really going to be like splitting these, uh, albeit quite a small change, but still a change enough just to offset, you know, precision's having that intrinsic tracking compared to uh, adaptive and aggressive, where it is all about just pure damage. So. We don't think that's intended right now. This is as of 4.003 update. Uh, so hopefully that will get fixed sometime in the future. Um, as for the red herring itself, uh, it, it is a void rocket launcher, so you could pair this with the void sandbox as we've been going on uh, throughout this episode. 
Uh, pairing it with Font of Might, very easy to pick up. You know, Wells are the all the rage just now, so we get that 25% uh, damage increase to Red Herring. Red Herring itself is, it's got some interesting choices here. It does not run with auto-loading holster. So that is maybe something you'd pick uh, the Tag. Yeah, Palmyra B as being the more coveted choice for uh, quick swapping between Willowhorde or is an Aggie's Burden. You could still play into this with Red Herring uh, because it does roll with um, it does roll with lasting impression, so you can still make that work if that's your thing. Uh, the other damage perks in the fourth column, we do have Golden Firecorn. Maybe not so much for uh, Rocket Launcher. You can't really, um, maybe not so much benefit from that, but it's 50% as we were discussing earlier on. If you can make that work uh, for quick burst damage, Golden Firecorn would be a solid choice. Uh, Frenzy's there as well. I'm personally going to go sort of pivot towards uh, Fuel Prep in the third column and Frenzy. Uh, fuel prep just for the ammo reserves boost, so that will, uh, I think the last time I checked, it goes up to about nine, uh, nine rockets total. Uh, so this is more focused on total damage ro- rocket launcher rather than a really uh, powerful uh, uh, burst damage rocket launcher uh, compared to, uh, I'm going to keep mentioning it as the Palmyra B. Uh, I'm personally pivoting towards Palmyra B just because my stick with auto-loading holster and lasting impression is I find that more uh, more of an interesting damage uh, comparison uh, compared to Red Herring but Red Herring is still a a solid choice for total damage Um, maybe some I've got in my notes here about like lasting oppression, maybe not so much a good choice for red herring, but again, as I said earlier on, you could pair that. You could try and make that work. Again, there's no loading holster, but you could pair with the um, one of the void fragments that reloads your uh, your your current weapon uh, when you suppress an enemy, uh, or if you're running. Basis, you can pair that with, with uh, I think it's impetus. That's the uh, one of the fragments there. But again, if you're if you're running stasis, you'd maybe want to run Palmyra B. <laughs> yeah, uh, just for I um I I miss the autoloading holster, but I will say I have never been a fan of lasting impression for champions, just because I'm always trying to deal with quick damage. Yeah. So I had kept one of these with frenzy to use with that void loadout. Um, in a situation like a nightfall where I can actually pretty easily guarantee that I'll be able to pick up a void well, get some volatile flow going, and then just deal some quick damage on him with the void rocket. So it, it's, it's got a place, but got a place. maybe um, not the, the DPS top. Yeah, and because it's craftable as well, you can really hone into that, specking into total damage uh, with the fuel prep, getting as much reserves as you can, and Frenzy. Frenzy is really easy to proc, very easy to activate. So, uh, and obviously it gives you that reload bonus, so you, you could try and really condense the reload uh, and have this really high total damage. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's one of the best rocket launchers out there, but in this current sandbox, it's definitely a shout to, to use. Now, 
that wraps up with all the uh, the four world weapons. Uh, Saint, we have a twelve to uh, just cover uh, recently as well. Yeah, there was not a ton of stuff in the twelve, but there is definitely some stuff that we want to cover. Starting off with the day one raid champions. This is something we I kind of mentioned briefly earlier, but Clan Elysium and their team of Salt Agrepo, Slap, Kairos, Mufel, Quaz, and Cruz are the back-to-back world champions after completing World's First for Vault of Glass in its time trial for the challenge mode. And again, in Battle of the Disciple here, um, if you want to see some just absolutely nuts gameplay, go check out Salt on YouTube or Cruz or any of these guys and um, just watch their gameplay. Watch how they talk to each other when they're figuring out the boss mechanics. It is really just nuts. Um, also have to give a shout out to Datto for coming in second place, just because Datto came in second place again, and I just have to, like, the meme will never die, you know, um, and, you know, they also had a great performance, I think that a lot of people were really angry about the world's first winners and stuff, because there's air codes and stuff like that, but, um, like, let's be honest, these teams are... S-tier teams anyways, and they just, you know, sure, you can say that they got lucky because they didn't get error-coded, but it's not like they didn't, couldn't have earned these positions anyways, even if every single other team in the world was on the board, so I'm not really, you know, super sympathetic to teams that are really salty about the people that finished in the top places, considering it was really S-tier teams, although... I do understand the frustrations of trying to be competitive in a day one race and you're dealing with a bunch of technical issues. Um, Other thing I want to talk about from the day one raid was some stats that they put in the 12 about uh, completions. And I think it's the first time they put completions of the different, like, tiers of the encounters, which is really interesting. Um, They start off with saying that about 546,000 players, about half a million people, attempted the day one raid. 270,000 of those players cleared acquisition, which is like the totems counter, kind of the first actual encounter you get in there. 131,000 of those players cleared caretaker. So, man, that was a huge, you know, you're going from 50% to 24, you know, it's like less than a quarter already off the bat. Um, And then if you go to exhibition, that goes all the way down to 80,000 players. And then finally, there were 32,000 unique players that cleared the actual raid. So, if we want to look at that on a percentage scale. Um, Thirty-two and a half thousand at a, you know, five hundred and fifty thousand is it's like uh, five or six percent. So if you are a player that attempted your first day one raid in Battle of the Disciple and you were really down bad because you didn't beat the raid on your very first attempt, you are in the 94% of the community, so do not beat yourself down for that one. And I am absolutely guilty of doing the same exact thing to myself of, you know, I'm not truly one of the best players unless I can beat the challenge mode raid. And it's really easy to be hard on yourself and your teammates and just get frustrated with how things go. But, um, you know, I definitely think that this is uh, after the, the whole debacle of the contest mode and how frustrated some people got around that. I think that this raid was also a good reminder to, you know, myself and probably a lot of others, go into the raid, try to do as best as you can, 
and just do it for the experience and not the win, basically, is kind of the mindset that I'm trying to get over here because, statistically speaking, it is really incredibly unlikely that you succeed. And that is not to, like, beat down anybody in the community. It's just, like, one of the hardest things that there is. Even my team uh, was, you know, um, past our 24-hour mark, so to say. So, you know, it's... it's um. It's incredibly difficult to push yourself, especially when this is typically a 24-hour mental endurance race. You know, not only do you need to be good at the game, but you need to be somebody that is capable of keeping yourself really attentive, engaged with the the boss mechanics and things like that um, in hour 16. And that's just incredibly difficult to do. So if you got into the race for the first time and you only beat the first two encounters, um, you're still in the top... 20% 20% of Raiders. So, like, man, you should feel awesome, honestly, if you got in there and beat even one encounter. You were already in a, you know, top 500,000 people that were going to attempt something, and, um, you know, you made progress. So, don't beat yourself down if you weren't in, like, the 5% of people, 6% of people that grew the day one raid. And remember that you can always progress further encounters every time you go. Um, if you beat two encounters this raid, the next raid, make your encounter to beat at least three encounters during the contest mode, and um, keep setting yourself up from there. That's, uh, that's about all I have to say on the raid. Uh, you know, congrats again to Clan Elysium for back-to-back worlds first. That's really nuts. Um, Bird, what else are we talking about in the club this week? What else is fun you have to say? Yeah, speaking of emblems, um, we got a little bit more information regarding the Vow of the Disciple 24-hour emblem that will be um, given to people that were not there for the immediate 24 hours. The If you got it in the extension window, you will receive the emblem in-game at a later date. And so they just said, stay tuned to upcoming TWABs for more details. We'll pass that information along, of course, as we get it. Uh, another emblem I want to talk about, uh, this is, uh, we're going to step outside the game here. Um, obviously, you guys are probably aware of the stuff that is going down uh, in Ukraine. And so uh, Bungie, for their part, dedicated the first 48 hours of their Game to Give charity stream and the proceeds that they raised there to the humanitarian efforts going on in Ukraine. Uh, in addition, they put out a blog post that has a full list of organizations that are lending help. So if you want to donate to any of those, you're more than welcome to. And finally, there is a blue and yellow Ukraine emblem. It looks absolutely gorgeous. That is available freely for all players. The code is found in the TWAB. That is the third, uh, March 10th TWAB. Um, it has the code right in the middle of the article. You can put that in and grab the emblem. It's got the Ukrainian coat of arms and sunflowers, which is the national flower of Ukraine. And it looks gorgeous. I've already seen a few of my friends rocking it already. So... Um, glad to see Bungie taking steps to uh, come to people in need. We're going to go back into the game now and talk about some stuff, one of which is already going on and something that's about to happen in next week. So Trials of Osiris is currently live as we are recording this episode. I know Saints already gotten in there and grabbed a few of the weapons. Um, we do have the Aisha's Embrace. That is a void rapid-fire frame scout rifle that uh, is new and then the Summoner, which is a solar adaptive frame auto rifle, not new, uh, returning weapon. That is currently the adept weapon that is being offered for this weekend. So um, you are more than welcome for all the PvP people out there listening to go in and grab that. There are some very good PvE rolls on those weapons. We'll talk about those 
uh, in a later episode when we cover some of the crucible and uh, trials weapons, do a breakdown of those. Uh, something to note about these weapons is that they are dropping with the trials origin trait, which is called alacrity. While you are the last guardian standing, or solo, and that's probably the part that's going to matter more for our PvE people, you will have plus 20 reload, plus 20 stability, plus 10 aim assist, and plus 10 range. This will activate in things like Lost Hunters if you're grinding out for the new exotic armors. So, um, definitely uh, a use for PvE. Um, obviously, we'll have to get our hands on more weapons with the origin trait, see how it procs, see how useful that is on either the summoner or Aisha's. Um, but I am looking forward to that. The other PvP-focused game mode that is returning next week, of course, is Iron Banner. And we do have two new weapons coming to us from the Iron Banner. We have a solar precision frame hand cannon called Frontier's Cry. Um, I know our, our PvP folks have some pretty strong feelings about 180 hand cannons. Of course, as a PvE player, I'm a little bit indifferent to it because that doesn't matter a whole lot for me. But when I look at the perk pool for the Frontier's Cry, uh, we do have a few of the Iron Banner-specific perks showing up in the final column. You also have things like One for All and Kill Clip that are on there. Um, I'm not wowed, i got to be honest. You've got something like Rapid Hit or Tunnel Vision in the third column, also Adaptive Munitions, which in the third column is, is notable, actually. That's that's very great. Um, Stats for All, of course, we've hyped that up this, this episode um, you could do the stats for all, one for all if you really wanted to. You could go with Adagio in the final column. could do a rapid hit kill clip. That's a tried and true. But, um, yeah, I think there are other solar hand cannons, especially solar hand cannons that um, have come from PvP that are probably a little bit better than Frontier's Cry. So I, I wouldn't be worried too much about looking for god rolls on this weapon. However, one weapon that I am looking for a god roll on is the new... Razor's Edge. This is an Iron Banner sword. It looks like a lightsaber. It's awesome. And it has an awesome roll. We finally have a Void Sword with Chain Reaction. This is uh, awesome. We get to complete the, the trifecta of elemental weapons with Chain Reaction. You can also get Unrelenting in the third column or Relentless uh, Strikes if you're uh, specking into that. So I absolutely is a, a, a spin to win frame. Is oh yeah, sorry, the spin to win that as we call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> spin to win and explosions. So exactly, definitely keep an eye out for this. Um, obviously, Iron Banner drops are um, a complete mystery. Uh, some of you will be blessed. <laughs> most of you will not. So uh, if you do manage to snag a roll of this. Hopefully it has Chain Reaction. You can also get Frenzy and One for All in the final columns. Uh, I would probably take those as well, but again, Chain Reaction is the, the unique, the standout perk. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that weapon next week as you're doing your Iron Banner. Let's see, is there anything else I want to talk about? We do have uh, something that kind of came out all, all of a sudden. Uh, Bungie gave us a one-time name change that has now gone live. So... If you uh, are wanting to change your name, you can go to Bungie.net, go to your profile settings after you log in. It, it will be under your identity settings, uh, the Bungie names that you can change. You have to click save at the end of that. Do, uh, do be smart with your, your name changes. Uh, obviously, they do need to adhere to the code contact, so please don't be stupid, don't be funny or edgy. Um, but if you are unhappy with your current name, 
you do have the option to change it for free this time. So uh, we, we don't know how that might work in the future. It may not be free. It will be free. But this one is free, so if you want to take advantage of it, it is here. It's not going away. It's always going to be active. So uh, if you want to change your mind later, you are more than welcome to do that. And that is, I believe, all of the notable things from our TWAB. We did also get a pretty big update. Uh, Court, what are some of the highlights from update 4.0.0.3? Yep, as we uh, as we record, this is our current version of Destiny 2. Uh, there is quite a smorgasbord of, uh, uh, of changes and bug fixes. Uh, we will just highlight some, just a few here, uh, just so we're not uh, <laughs> just... Uh, copy and pasting what, what you can already read, but the first two are super important, as we uh, alluded to earlier on, uh, it's to do with the Wellspring Rewards. Uh, so fixed initiative where players were not receiving Wellspring Rewards if they have not picked up any armor from Finch in the Thorn World. I know a few friends actually had ran into a problem where they didn't pick up any of the, uh, the armor there and they weren't getting any uh, Wellspring Rewards, which was a bit of a pain, so that's mm-hmm. now being fixed. Uh, the second one, which is one which I was really looking forward to uh, was the uh, the implement, implemented the bad luck protection uh, for weapon drops oh, yeah. in Wellspring and deep sight weapons for those oh, specific ones as well. So I managed to get both uh, it was Tarnation and the auto rifle um, to drop for me. Uh, very recently, and I've managed to clear that particular mission that's been sat in my quest log for about two weeks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they are dropping, I think for me, I did about approximately 10, maybe less less than 10 runs, and I managed to get the two red boxes for each, uh, and I, I have none prior to that. Uh, so Yeah, that's not bad. That yeah. sounds like a reasonable you still need to put in. Yeah. Yeah. You still need to put in the effort, uh, but... Uh, uh, it's it's a lot more for, uh, forgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, and one actually I noticed today uh, when I was doing some uh, some some uh, stripes and stuff uh, was the uh, Glenys armor mods are dropping from World Engrams and can also be sold by Ada One. I had noticed that before. I was like, where's my uh, Glaive mod that I was uh, hyping up a few episodes ago about Voy uh, 3.0, which I have shifted away, and now I'm a volatile rounds main. <laughs> uh, so they are they are now present. You can get the Glaive mods. Uh, there was a little, um, uh, an interesting point about Wardcliffe Coil. Uh, the rocket launcher's damage had, uh, was doing... Uh, it was doing less damage resistance than before, so it dropped down from 80% down to 70%. And what that meant, that doesn't sound like a big change, but remember, Wardcliffe Coil does shoot out this massive volley of rocket launchers, uh, rocket launchers of rockets. Uh, so while that 10% change isn't necessarily uh, a big change on paper, in practice it actually brought it into a very competitive, high-damaging uh, heavy weapons. Not as not as competitive as Galahorn, but it was it was up there. And I don't think Bungie were keen on having that uh, that uh, being a sustained thing beyond uh, the last couple of weeks uh, of this uh, content drop. So that's been reverted. I think Warcliffe Coil is very much the ad clearing, uh, which uh, I sometimes use in Arc Burn activities as well, where uh, it's quite fun, very fun to run around and 
of all rings filled. That has been reversed. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure when you said volley of rocket launchers, somebody over at Gearbox just started taking notes for being bored Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Um, so that's been very... Uh, the one that I noticed, and I was just like, whoa, was the uh, overflow has been removed from enhanced pulse monitor yeah. for unintentionally overflowing the web <laughs> yeah, magazine with weird. seemingly no limit, <laughs> which meant that your weapons could get these preposterously high, huge magazines. We're talking like hundreds. We're four digits. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're pushing yeah. it here. Uh, which triggered Bungie's anti-cheat, which <laughs> banned and removed players from the game. So hopefully that's uh, that, that particular aspect of this problem to be being solved. And I mean the people being removed and banned from the game. Uh, they've had that overturned, but the, that, that particular perk has been removed. Uh, yeah, I did see some comical. images, and it was very, very humorous. Uh, so that, that's been kicked out. Another one which uh, actually relates back to Day 1 Raid was uh, Enhanced 1-2 Punch now requires 10 to 12 pellets to hit a target to proc the melee buff. Uh, base trait and enhanced trait duration has been changed to 1.22 seconds. So this really is just to combat the hyper damage stacking and the one-hit boss kills, uh, which uh, was the reason why it was disabled for uh, the new raid. Uh, I still feel a little bit texting with 1-2 Punch, but I think that really brings it back into uh, you can't just um, uh, shield bash uh, <laughs> Tanix or any of these raid, old raid bosses with one hit. Now that's, mm-hmm. I don't think they've... <laughs> Bungie have never been keen on that idea, and it's uh, it's very telling that they've they've really reined that back in, so no more one-shotting. Uh, we, something which was a big thing um, over the last kind of couple of days uh, was the fixed fix issue where the standardized Void Weaken debuff, uh, so that's your 15% weaken stuff from... Uh, from your various Void Sandbox uh, Weaken Effects, uh, it's one of the six verbs, the Weaken Effect, so that's 50%, was overriding Divinity's custom <laughs> debuff. So oh, Divinity's no. was 30%. So if you paired the two, you would, if you had a Child of the Old Gods and a Divinity active at the same time, it wouldn't take the 30% from Divinity, it would take the 15%. So that was what was happening. That's been fixed. I've, I've personally checked all that. It's all up and running. You can uh, you can freely throw your grenades, your weakened grenades, or your Child of the Old Gods and snare bombs. And you like day one, I swear we told one of our fire team members like three times, you have to let go of Child of the Old Gods. You have to take it <laughs> yeah. off. You've got to lose it. I think, especially with Divinity, is a very, we will get into a little bit more of the meta behind raids in future episodes, but the uh, Divinity is a very popular choice for the new raid, so uh, it's very important that that was fixed recently. I am just going to take a quick side note, this isn't part of the patch notes here, I'll just quickly cover some new sandbox changes which were, uh, which are actually attached to something that we mentioned before, and that Banner Shield uh, Weapons of Light was 40%. This also now applies to a few other things. Argent Ordnance, so if you stack four mods, they are pretty pricey mods, five energy per mod, but if you stack four, that's also 40%. Previously it's 35, stack, uh, it capped off at 35. Firewalker, which is from Path of the Burning Steps, that's also 40% at four stacks. 
and Surprise Attack, which is the Charge for Light uh, Sidearm mod. That is also 40% uh, from 35%. All these apply to PvE only. It doesn't apply to PvP. There was a little bit of a scare. I know in the Science Discord, alarm bells were ringing with 40% would mean a lot of sidearms could potentially two-tap. It was the various different effects that you could have with the surprise attack. So, no, it's just PvE. Uh, n just a little kind of note on that. No changes to other things like Lucent Blade, High Energy Fire, Lumina, Boots of Assembler. All those are fine. A little, because we've discussed the raid today, we haven't, again, we haven't went specifically into anything uh, like raid mods and such. But I will just say quickly that the Umbral Sharpening raid mod, which is one where... If you get Pervading Darkness stacks, four or more Pervading Darkness, you get a Weapon Damage Increase. Now this counts as an Empowering buff, so it's the same as Well, Bubble, Banner Shield, etc, etc. Uh, you stack those mods together, again, all about the copies. If you've got one copy, it's 20%, 2, 25, 35, 40%. But what's also happening, which is still apl applicable to this current update, uh, is it's overriding other empowering buffs like Well Bubble, etc. Even if it's a lower value. So, for example, one Umbral Sharpening mod at 20% will override a 40% Weapons of Light buff from Banner Shield. So if you're running into the raid with that particular mod, you just need to be very careful. careful. Uh, the, the mods themselves, they're not that expensive, so you can theoretically really build that into your uh, your loadout. Uh, if you're planning to run uh, Umbral Sharpening, there is a specific trigger, but when it is active, that could really throw off your uh, your damage, unless you're using four mods for the 40%. And I think that's so negative, because normally it always supersedes, you know, the better buffs will normally always supersede the other, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, so the highest buff always uh, overrides other lower buffs, uh, but it's doing the, in the inverse, much like what we were we, we had with the Divinity bu uh, mm -hmm. bug with the weaken effects. It's the yep. lowers overriding the higher. Uh, just a quick few things. Uh, fixed an issue where the uh, weekly limit for Ascendant Ally purchases was not resetting at Master Hill. Uh, they also added a one-time purchase of two Ascendant Alloys for cost of one. Uh, so that was bugged since the start of the season. Uh, I know that was quite a contentious issue as well, where Ascendant Alloys weren't as readily available, uh, but we weren't, <laughs> we couldn't physically buy any Alloys either. Uh, so you can go and get that just now. I think uh, by the time this goes out, it's probably already going to be weekly reset, but uh, this this starts from weekly reset, the, the bug fix. So yep. as as we are previous uh, or in this current week, uh, the buying the weekly Ascendant Alloy wasn't applicable, but you could get the one-time purchase. Uh, another uh, enhanced autoloader. Take that half second off. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Two last things before we wrap things up here. Uh, Rahul's destination materials are also now uh, being normalised down to what they were at the Spiders uh, exchange rates. Uh, I did notice that. I've got tons of re <laughs> resources, so I wasn't really all that mad about it. But I know, you know, from our new light friends, we don't want to um, make it uh, an issue for them to buy any materials, and it costs a lot more than what we used to pay. Uh, and finally, uh, again, this is probably something that's uh, more applicable for uh, non-US people. 
uh, but it's the daylight savings time reminder uh, worth pointing out from the 13th of March. Uh, uh, Destiny's daily and weekly rituals, uh, the, the resets, will move to Pacific Daylight Time, which is 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific, uh, before it was 9 a.m. U.S. Pacific, and that is 1,700 hours in UTC plus zero, and that lasts up till November as we get into spring, summer. Uh, so just to reiterate, that is an hour forward from previous resets. Uh, now that will slightly, I know here in the UK we don't change our time until much later on in, into March, but uh, that will start affecting people who who do eventually change their time. So just take that into consideration for your weekly and uh, daily uh, reset stuff. Now I think that uh, pretty much wrap, uh, wraps up with our big bumper episode. I am checking the uh, the time here where we're almost approaching two hour mark here. Yeah, man, so, I uh, didn't realize we uh, were sitting down for a two-parter today. We were For all the detail on that, especially Quartz, I know that some of those buff and debuff stackings, hey, if that's the difference between your caretaker takedown yeah, at the yeah. very last second with your outbreak perfected, you don't want to be giving yourself any non-optimal loadouts here, so we always appreciate all of the details on our optimal stacks. Um, like Court said, that's about it for our banner episode here. We will be back over the next few weeks, um, you know, talking all about more weapons, the raid and encounters and all that stuff. So plenty more Witch Queen content to cover. Thank you guys for joining us as always. You can find me over in the Massive Breakdowns channel. If you are struggling with a raid and you're looking for a Sherpa, you know, we're all in there, right? And there is plenty of other helpful people in the LFG channel that would love to help you take it to your first raid. Um, always cool to see an experience like that. Uh, other than that, you can find me over on Twitch or in my clan Discord, which just has crossed uh, discoverability. That was like a big milestone uh, this past week. We crossed a thousand people, so now we are nice. like, we're legitimate. We're not just a bunch of weirdos on the internet, <laughs> you know? Um, Court, where can people find you? They can find me over at Court Project. Uh, just a sort of minor self shout out. Uh, there are some stacking graphics which you can uh, lay your eyes on with uh, the various debuffs and buffs from Destiny. Uh, some graphics there that are uh, taken from my uh, spreadsheets, which you can find on any popular uh, search engine. That's the buffs and debuffs spreadsheets. Uh, just look for that. And you can also find me out, uh, hanging out in the Massive Breakdowns Discord server, primarily in the science chat, but I've been known to dabble in the other chats and <laughs> to uh, annoy some certain people. <laughs> and my name is The Solitary Bird. You can find me on Twitter or in the Massive Breakdowns Discord by that name. You are more than welcome to shoot me a message if you've got any questions about weapon rolls. Um, happy to help out. If you've got any questions about the legendary campaign, fire my way. Um, love to help you with that. Get those clears, guys. Uh, if you've already gone into the raid already, uh, what did you think of it? Uh, it was amazing for us. We love it so much. Uh, great to hear your thoughts on it as well. Very excited to see how it unfolds. Uh, the strategies, the, the burns, the, the boss melts. Uh, always a fun thing whenever a new raid drops, so we're going to be keeping our eyes peeled for that, and uh, in the future we're going to hit you up with all the best tips and tricks for the raid. Back to you, Court. Sorry, Saint. 
Um, yeah, that is that's all we got for the episode. Thank you guys for listening as always. All the reviews, um, listens, anything like that really helps support and just proliferate the show. So much appreciated to everybody there and the Discord and the Patreon. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. episode after the release of the Witch Queen expansion and Season of the Risen. We are excited to dive in to all of the new stuff and give our thoughts on all of the new content. My name is Asal Terry Bird, and joining me as always are St. Kabir and Court. Fellas, we've got a lot to discuss today, but before we get into the content, we've also had a lot of stuff going on in our uh, actual lives, IRL, I should say. Uh, Court, I know you are uh, coming off the tail end of some COVID. How are you feeling, man? I'm recovering. I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, just in time for the massive expansion that is Witch Queen. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for asking. And uh, good to see everyone again. Yeah, it's good to have the uh, nice back. here, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I um, I took a little break. I took a little vacation down to San Antonio um, with my partner. I got to go see her hometown. It was nice to just... Um, you know, not play video games for an entire weekend, which felt weird, but, you know, was good. Um, but, yeah, that was all I had basically going on, just a lot of stuff at work and things like that. And then, other than that, a lot of Destiny. Oh, my gosh, a lot of Destiny out this past couple of weeks. Um, and Bird is uh, across the country a bit. I am. I have moved halfway across the country. I'm back in the Midwest, I'm closer to some extended families, so... Uh, very excited to be be near them. Um, not excited to make the move during wintertime. Don't don't recommend that, fellas. That's <laughs> that was a challenge. Uh, thankfully, nothing nothing was damaged in the move, but uh, a lot of cold stuff. A lot of cold stuff. So, yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Happy to be set up here, and uh, yeah, excited to be playing some Destiny. But before we get into that, I think we have to thank a couple of people, don't we? We do. We have. Uh, some more podcast reviews to thank for the week, which is huge. Uh, leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is always hugely appreciated. It is a great way to just kind of spread the reach of the show um, and to have it show up on all kinds of search engines and anything like that. Uh, want to specifically give a shout out to Beerman89, GF Guy RD, Shadow Glory, Brian Cashin, Iron Mark, Mathis Eight. And the Thin Silver Line. I uh, really appreciate all of you guys, the reviews that you left us, the encouragement and kind words. Um, and it's also great to see some people coming over from the original Massive Breakdown show that are, you know, kind of now starting to combo them together or are dipping more into PvE or are just happy to have some more time on air about the in-game of Destiny 2. So really appreciate all that cross-pollination. Um, you know, can't thank... Merchant Kit enough for how they set it up here on PvE. We also got another shout-out to give this week for a special review we got. Court, can you tell us about that? 
Well, a certain YouTuber, certain content creator, very kindly shouted uh, yours truly out, uh, specifically to do with the uh, spreadsheet work. I have worked with a certain someone for uh, a number of months now. He is one of many YouTubers, in fact, that I work with, but uh, a really big shout out back to uh, Fallout Plays. He is really concise, consistent, and just all around really good guy uh, when it comes to Destiny content. Uh, so, yep, thank you very much to Mr. Fallout Plays. Uh, so, guys, let's... Uh, Let's see what the outline is here. So we've got quite a lot to uh, cover today. We do have, obviously, our first impressions for uh, Witch Queen and Void 3.0. Uh, we've got a little bit of uh, patch notes just to kind of uh, echo and point out. Uh, we've got our uh, impressions and a little bit of uh, uh, coverage of the weapon crafting system, some seasonal artifact mods, and also just a little bit from last week's TWAB from the... 24th of February. So, uh, do, do I really need to ask this? Uh, what, did, <laughs> what did everyone do in Destiny last week? I think there was uh, a big, uh, big expansion that came out. Something come out? Less, something's going on this week, right? Yeah, I thought. Well, uh, you know, I just played some Destiny 1. There wasn't anything interesting when Destiny 2. <laughs> no, I think uh, we've all been playing some uh, some really good content, some really fantastic uh all round goodness. There's some more destiny, and that's only a good thing. Uh, so, yeah. Saint, birds, what you guys been up to in destiny? <laughs> yeah, I'll just jump in and say um, I've been loving Witch Queen so far. I have not had an insane amount of time to play, but I've played through the Legendary campaign. I did that mostly slow on my Titan. Um, you know, I kind of dipped my toes into some of the different quests and missions and things like that. Um, really loving all the Void 3.0 stuff. I'll kind of talk more specifically about builds that I'm using and things like that. But um, overall, I you know, it's been a hit. I think um, maybe as Mark knows, where they need that first called this the sequel to the Taken King, and I was like, man, that's a big, that's a big statement right there, all right, but, you know, Mark, to your credit, he did not disappoint, and it really is the, the Taken King sequel, I think, is, is a great way to put it, um, I really enjoyed the challenge of the campaign, the story of it, I thought, um, that the legendary campaign was a good challenge, even as somebody who's been through solo dungeons and things like that. You know, some really tough boss fights and things in there. Uh, also, just some really cool overall experiences of the environments and things like that within the throne world, without getting super spoilery. Um, but yeah, I love the throne world as a location and kind of the dichotomy that it has of like this older hive kind of swampy area, um, and then miasma and all that stuff. And then you have your very pristine, you know, light imbued court of the witch queen and, um, it's just like this really eerily clean and, um, nice looking environment that's dangerously beautiful, uh, I think is a good way to put that, but yeah, so I'm, I'm loving the Witch Queen, I think that the overall, you know, my reaction to this is awesome, even though we're only, um, you know, five days in here, I, I'm really enjoying it, um, you know, Bird, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it feels great to, to have a campaign in Destiny 2 that's, that's replayable and that's fun to play, not necessarily for the rewards, although the rewards are there, but a campaign that, um, you know, I want to go run through on, on a harder difficulty than, than normal, which is what it's normally been for the past uh, few campaigns that 
it just feels awesome. Um, taking me through amazing spaces, getting to watch, oh yeah, I won't get into spoilers, getting to watch uh, some character art arcs develop uh, over the course of those, those eight amazing missions. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming, and I'm so happy that it's finally here, and I'm really excited that the same team that worked on this campaign has just been announced to be working on the campaign for Lightfall, which is uh, a lot to look forward to. I know we have so much content that's going to be coming before Lightfall, I don't even want to begin thinking about that, but knowing that we got the same people hard at work on the future of Destiny is, is so encouraging. So, yeah, I've, I've been loving Witch Queen, um, been loving the, the campaign, love doing it solo, love playing with some friends and clanmates and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just more PvE, more stuff to cover, more weapons to chase, and uh, there's a lot of chasing to be doing. <laughs> oh, man. So, let's get into the campaign. Um, Difficulty-wise, I think, uh, you know, we won't, we won't talk about spoilers, but... Um, what do you guys think about the the legendary difficulty? We we haven't had something that's quite at this kind of difficulty, and what I mean by that is that typically when we think about in-game PvE so far, there's pretty strict tiers. You've got uh, legend difficulty, master difficulty, and then grandmaster difficulty, which is really just for the nightfalls. This isn't really anything like that. Um, we don't have a lot of the modifiers in the Legendary campaign that you would associate with Master or Grandmaster content. There aren't any champions. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone. Uh, there are challenging enemies. Uh, the Lucent Brood is, is very difficult to deal with, but uh, there's no match game. There's no champions. And so it does play pretty differently, at least in my opinion. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, uh, the actual like difficulty for the Legend campaign, which I I played through solo, and I plan to play through again with uh, a couple of buddies of mine. Uh, it just it's that really perfect uh, uh, middle of it's not impossibly hard. It's not grandmaster level of you need to prepare yourself, but it's also not the opposite way of it being far too easy. It's, especially for like ourselves, where we're you know we're PDE veterans. So there was, a de there was definitely a, a really, like, challenging aspect to it. And I, I, after, like, completing mission by mission, quest by quest, it felt really satisfying to do, oh, I've, I've finally beat this boss. Uh, so I, I've been loving it. It's been a welcome change uh, because we've not had this for a long, long time, uh, if ever, in this capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely agree there. I think that the difficulty felt really nice. I also played mostly solo. I think there was like eight missions or something like that, and I did seven solo and maybe like mission three or four. Um, I had decided to group up with the team just to, you know, see kind of what that interaction was like in the enemies and the changes they made there about the scaling enemies also was great. Uh, I think that was an awesome change. Um, and I agree with Court's point about the... Uh, the length and difficulty of the boss fights kind of brings the meaning, right? Because um, you not you don't feel satisfaction when you open an encounter and kill the boss the first try, right? You feel it's like the really satisfying feeling. You know, for me, this was a boss. I will say about three quarters of the way through the campaign, and also the final boss. Without giving a lot of details on that, took me several iterations of my loadout and trying to figure out how I was going to manage this encounter and, and keep up various pieces of it. So um, it, it did have a satisfying feeling. I, I finally beat this boss after I wiped eight times in a row and it's been an hour and whatever, you know, long time. And uh, 
it did, it really brought in some satisfaction to that, and um, yeah, it was great. I think that they they uh, they nailed the difficulty of that there without bringing in champions, which I think is something that people have said is like uh, their their go to bit for just making something harder is just put champions in it, and they've clearly shown that they can make it hard and lock contests on a lot of missions. Uh, without even having any champions and still have worthy challenges and boss fights and things like that that are memorable. Um, but the loot from the campaign was awesome. During these legendary missions, as difficult as they may be, they're dropping um, upgrade modules, they're dropping legendary gear, they're dropping materials, you know, legendary cores, stuff like that. Um, I was really satisfied with the loot there. And then also, we, I know we mentioned this before, but that 1520 gear was a huge boost. Um, getting to, you know, get an exotic piece of armor for your class, you get an emblem, you get this, web, you know, a, a set of upgrade modules and a set of armor. Um, really felt rewarding and really felt like they know what the kind of the players are looking for and giving a, a meaningful reward to putting in the time investment of the campaign. Um, and I know that sometimes playing with a team now has not always made it easier. Uh, listen to this past week's, um, or the most recent episode of Massive Breakdowns, I know that kind of going through with some less experienced teammates can add difficulty on this, right? It's not exactly a walk in the park if you just carry your two new lights through the campaign. But they're going to, like, know what's going on here, and they can't just be throwing themselves into the abyss or you're going to run out of revives and light quick. So um, I like that they have created a better way for players to jump in to the feeling of, like, the in-game destiny, like, right off the bat. Um, even even though it may take a fire team member kind of guiding you through, you can get a much more uh, authentic, like, destiny in-game experience, uh, you know, maybe a few days into the game after you're leveling up and getting into this campaign. I think that if you're somebody who is uh, buying Witch Queen, that you could pretty quickly get into um, this new Legend campaign and get you to have, like, a solid destiny experience with a good rewards and put yourself up for the, you know, set yourself up for the expansion well, even if you're pretty new to the game, which is great to see. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with all those points. It it really, I know people want to be making a lot of comparisons to the, the previous fan-favorite uh, expansions, obviously Taken King from D1 and then Forsaken from, from D2. And, you know, I don't think we'll need to necessarily make comparisons right now, but one of the things that I've really enjoyed about this campaign, the challenging enemies, but also just a cohesive story, um, is, you know, the missions... When you do them all back to back to back, you you understand why you're doing this now as opposed to why you didn't do this sooner. There's there's a real flow there, and then, and then of course the environments are just amazing. I mean, the Throne World is, is such an incredible destination. It's kind of borrowing from Europa in the sense that these three patrol areas are one side, but then most of the campaign will take place kind of out in the world that's separate from the patrol area, um, and there's a lot to explore in that area. Um, there's some deep side abilities that you can unlock as you progress with your reputation uh, in the throne world. Um, so it's really cool to kind of go out and explore and, you know, be on your own as you're kind of going by yourself and, and coming across high-level enemies out there that aren't necessarily roaming through the, the patrol spaces. So it's a very exciting campaign to play, but then also the destination is just incredible. I mean, my goodness, such a eerily beautiful um yeah, pristine, like a sterile environment. Very, very odd. Um, again, we won't we won't get the spoilers for for why some of that stuff is the way that it is, but it's 
it's definitely a very uh, evocative location, and uh, I'm not going to be forgetting this this experience anytime soon. There's the there's a sound, and I don't think this is too much of a, a spoiler to give away. When you activate the deep sight ability, um, sometimes when you're in, in, interacting with an object nearby, there is this like bell of a jingling sound. It, 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 I think this maybe this is like bringing me back to some like insidious or maybe there's a movie I've seen that this is reminding me of like subconsciously. But like, oh man, that's so creepy. Just a little like faint jingling sound in the background gets me every time. You mentioned there, which just remembered, uh, you, you mentioned movies. So I was speaking to one of my buddies while we were playing this thinking uh, this is very Lord of, Lord of the Rings uh, with Minas Tirith. I don't know how much guys, uh, how much Lord of the Rings you guys have uh, watched or uh, evolved yourself in with, but just the scale of the throne world uh, just had that same reaction when I first watched uh, uh, Return of the King when you saw Minas Tirith. Just it, it like something really stuck out. I was like, this is very Tolkien world. Um, and uh, Bungie know how to uh, knock out the park with uh, their with their overall design. They're they're just they're scaling with every expansion, not just with Witch Queen. But uh, I was just completely in awe. There were there were legitimately times where I just had to sit and walk, like look at the scope mm-hmm. and the scope of this entire um, environment. Yeah. I agree, it's beautiful. And the last, I guess the last thing I'll say about kind of the campaign and the, and the story and all this before we dive into some 3.0 stuff is the fact that the seasonal story is tied right into what is happening in the main storyline of the campaign. Uh, I know that there's a lot of planning that goes on in, in as far as like the schedule of Destiny and things like that go in the major releases. So I just love to see the unification between the major release team and the seasonal team are clearly very aligned on the, the story that they're telling and how the game is moving forward and things like that. So that is something that they've said for a long time and sometimes something that I've it's not necessarily been super connected as we've gone through the seasons. Um, and so it's great to see that continue to get better and better um, with this being probably the peak, right? This is the best, most, like, integrated story main campaign that we've had uh, in, in a long time, I think. I think coming off uh, coming off Beyond Light and that year, that seasonal year, uh, the four seasons with uh, Beyond Light, Bungie know how to properly tell a story. And I was completely invested last year, and I was really hoping come Witch Queen, we get that same refined and concise story. And, again, here we are, not going into spoilers here, but it's, mm-hmm. it's they've definitely de- uh, delivered that. Yeah, a lot of stuff has been delivered to us. Um, specifically, uh, we should probably talk about the one thing that is available to all players, including people that uh, haven't gotten Witch Queen yet, which would be the Void 3.0. This is our second element that has been uh, modularized, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Uh, we've had some some shifting of uh, abilities and um, buffs and debuffs that used to be uh, confined to, to nodes that are now in aspects and fragments. So, fellas, uh, I think we should dive into what we've got with the purple stuff. Uh, I can start with Warlock right away. So, Warlocks have three aspects to pick from. Those are the things that are class-specific abilities. Um, the, the big one, I think that uh, the show stealer, I should probably say, would be the Child of the Old Gods, 
Melee, which um, I haven't played around with it a whole lot, mostly because I'm more interested in the other two aspects, but that is uh, whenever you cast your Rift, you send out a little <laughs> a little glowing ball, the, the child, so to speak, who will, uh, once you start shooting at a group of enemies, move towards them and then begin to uh, suck the life out of them and feed that back to you for uh, a specific type of energy, depending on the type of rift that you have. Uh, very fun to watch. It does have a really cool interaction with the Arc Soul. I won't spoil that interaction for anyone that hasn't tried it out yet, but it is it's pretty entertaining to watch. Um, uh, it's very funny that they, the developers thought of that interaction uh, when they were designing it. The other two aspects that I have been using a lot have been Chaos Accelerant and Feed the Void. Now, Chaos Accelerant is something that we've had from Top Tree Voidwalker, and it has been expanded to include the handheld supernova from Middle Tree. So this gives you an overcharged uh, grenade, specifically the Vortex, Axion Bolt, Scatter, and Magnetic Grenades. Um, the Magnetic Grenade is the one that overcharged into the handheld supernova. So this uh, is what I've been using with Vortex Grenades and some other fragments that I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, I've been using this to great effect during the Legendary Campaign. You get one fragment slot with this one. Um, you can have up to four with uh, if you go with Child of the Old Gods and then the third aspect. Uh, but if you do Chaos Accelerant and the third aspect, you get just three fragment slots, which is what I've been using. The third fragment is Feed the Void, and that just means that your Void Ability Kills grant the Devour effect. You get two fragment slots with this one. So uh, Devour, of course, grants health and shields for each kill you land, and that will extend the timer. Uh, the more time, it, the tougher the enemy, the more time it is added, and your grenade will recharge faster. The maximum amount of time for Devour is 17 seconds. That is a hard cap. It cannot be exceeded. So uh, I've been loving Chaos Accelerant. I've been loving Feed the Void, of course, as a, a Void Warlock. The armor that I pair with these are going to be controversial just for the extra benefit of that. The fragments that I've been using have been the Echo of Remnants, the Echo of Resistance, and the Echo of Expulsion. Uh, and if you want to know what those do, I can tell you right now. Echo of Expulsion will give <laughs> Void Ability Kills. Uh, the enemies explode, and then you also get 10 intellect. Very fun to, fun to watch. I love having explosions in my game. Uh, the Echo of Resistance gives you... Void buffs applied to you, uh, for this case, uh, Devour, because that's where I've been procking as a Warlock, have increased duration, so getting an even longer Devour. Like I said, it's a hard cap for Devour at 17 seconds, but this just helps me get up to that 17-second cap a little bit easier. And then, of course, my final one is the Echo of Expulsion, which gives me uh, Void Ability. No, I already said Expulsion. Forgive me. Uh, remnants. Is that what I said, or Resistance? Goodness, I'm getting all over the place here. I didn't say remnants, that's the one. There it is. Echo of remnants, your lingering grenade effects. Again, I've been using Vortex grenades. They just have an increased duration. So easier to proc, especially with Controverse Hold. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of grenades. You guys know this. So I've been throwing a lot of Vortex grenades. Those Vortex grenades have been sticking around for a lot longer, and I've uh, been getting grenade energy back. So it makes for a lot of fun. Um, Hunter, Court, what have you been, how have you been liking Void 3.0? Well, I'm not sure what camp I would be attaching myself to because this is definitely the, the most controversial uh, and uh, most talked about uh, subclass. Uh, hunters have been going back and forth, both before Witch Queen and after, where a lot of the community are split down the middle whether they really enjoy uh, Hunter Void 3.0 or if they don't. 
I am definitely in the former category. I am absolutely loving the Hunter changes. Uh, Saint and I, we did discuss the, uh, the sort of general uh, overview of uh, the changes for all three classes, but um, I, I made the same point last last episode about crutching on Heart of the Pack, and I definitely stand by that. Uh, the the changes I'm really really enjoying. One particular build which I'll get on uh, involves using stylish, stylish Executioner and Vanishing Step. Both those give me two uh, fragment spots to to uh, utilize. Uh, just a little reminder of what Stylus Executioner is. It's when you defeat a suppressed, volatile, or weakened combatant, you get invisibility and true sight. There is a two-second cooldown, uh, which is aptly called too stylish. Uh, and obviously, Vanishing Step is just your bog standard dodge, and you get invisibility. The... Fragments that I've been rocking with this particular build, Expulsion, as Bird mentioned there, its targets explode. Uh, you also get that plus 10 intellect. Uh, we also have uh, Domineering, which will come into play as to uh, why I'm uh, using Domineering. Uh, weapons reload from reserves and you get a mobility bump when you kill, uh, sorry, when you apply suppression. Uh, reprisal, which is final blows when surrounded by combatants, grants increased super regen and dilation, which is something which I'm only really using for the stat bump, for the, for, for the time being anyway, uh, well encroached, uh, in uh, enhanced radar resolution and sneak faster, and you get plus 10 intellect and plus 10 mobility with that. So the, uh, the, the exotic in question as well I've been using, which is took a complete reversal of n no one really uses a lot to it's essential, it's obvious rig, and pairing that with Movius Quiver, you get three volleys of three uh, Terror Anchors, and man, it, it's tearing bosses apart. It is such a fun build. Uh, it's just, the actual super itself is just so fun to just watch an entire boss be completely deleted off the, off, uh, off the throne world. Uh, so, the actual build itself, which I've been really loving, uh, is actually to do with the Glaive. Uh, so, using uh, some of the artifact mods, the Glaive Unstoppable mod, uh, the Suppressive Glaive, and Suppressive Darkness, uh, I've been pairing those three to essentially just stunlock everything in my path. <laughs> Uh, just a little reminder as to what those are. Glaive Unstoppable is melee or projectile from the Glaive. Uh, obviously, stuns Unstoppable Champions. The Suppressing Glaive, uh, when you also melee or projectile uh, damage with a Glaive, you suppress them. And with Suppressive Darkness, uh, Suppressed Combatants are weakened, which is obviously your 50% there. Why this plays in? The whole loop with Silas Executioner is when you defeat a suppressed target or a weakened target, you go invisible. So every enemy, I am self-proccing suppression and then killing them to go invis. That's every single enemy. There may be a two-second cooldown called Too Stylish, but I feel like I'm going invis all the time. It's such a <laughs> great, fun build. Uh, the secondary build, which I noticed quite earlier on, I was really interested to see if there was some sort of synergy with the existing Zossix. Uh, Two-Tailed Fox and Tractor Cannon, they do have suppression effects, 
and these effects also synergize with styles of executioner or your suppression buffs. Uh, Two-tailed fox obviously is is actually a pretty solid rocket launcher, an exotic lo lo rocket launcher. Um, maybe so much, not so much with the uh, Galahorn taking uh, a, a big piece of the rocket launcher uh, pie, uh, but uh, Two-tailed fox being able to self-proc suppression and then looping back into my build is everything I wanted with Y3.0. I'm really loving the, uh, the, the design choices and uh, it's just a little sort of meta comment with the sort of other side where people aren't really enjoying Hunter. Just, it's just uh, feel like they maybe need to open their eyes up a little bit just to <laughs> try out different builds, try out different uh, different um, aspects that aren't just part of the pack. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've been having a ton of fun. Same. I hear you've also been having a lot of fun with your uh, Titan there. I have. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the first look at where we were doing our overview of Void 3.0 Titan, I guess just last week. Um, feels like weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> even though it may have only been um, not too long. The nerf to the bubble, obviously, and Weapon Delight was, uh, was a, a you know, big negative kind of cloud over Titans. And I'm happy to say that I'm still very happy with where Sentinel is at. I think that while the damage nerf to Bubble may not have felt great, and it may not feel great looking or standing next to the current iteration of Well and all that, just try to be patient with that and just understand that it's not the end-all be-all for Titans to have the slight edge in a raid environment. It honestly opens things up a bit more. Um, and I think the Titans have really leaned into this uh, tanky, paladin, overshield generating um, character. Defense, a lot of defense, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being the defensive paladin, you know? Um, specifically for aspects and fragments, there's a couple different builds. Um, aspects of Bastion and Bulwark are a couple that I've been using together. Bastion is one that's helping you generate these overshields. Casting your barricade generates overshield for yourself and your by allies. Those bunkering behind the shield will regenerate that shield over time and extend its duration. Um, and then you also have offensive bulwark. While you have an overshield or inside your bubble, grenades recharge faster and you do increase melee damage. Um, you also get an additional shield throw while you're in your Sentinel Super. So there's a benefit there for Bubble, and there's also a benefit there for the actual Sentinel, depending on which node you want to go. Pairing those two up with some neutral game fragments uh, and something that's going to allow me to do a lot of debuffs, I was playing a lot of the campaign solo, so the ability to debuff a target using Echo of Undermining and then buff myself using Weapons of Light and then deal damage to them was pretty nice. I will say the ability to have one character dealing buffs and debuffs is awesome. Uh, even though that weakened effect may only be 15% as opposed to the stronger 30 from some of the more traditional debuffs, um, when you're building in a solo environment to try to beat one of these bosses, any bit of uh, that helps. I was running, the other way that I was running my new Titan, I'm running with a Heart of Inmost Light, and the Heart of Inmost Light got some reworks recently. It, it's I'll say easier to use and also easier to read and know how to use because it works with your abilities and it gives straight text on how it's functioning with your abilities. 
if you want to use something like Echo of Exchange and Echo of Provision, these are basically your neutral game loop for, you know, melee kills, grenade energy, grenade kills, grenade melee energy, which is good because if you're also using something like Bastion and Bulwark, um, you know, you're, you're just really doubling down on a super strong neutral game here. Whenever you can plant a rally barricade, you're giving your teammates in the whole area an overshield right immediately nearby you, and then you're also increasing reload and stuff like that. So it's a really good support class. Um, I also have to mention remnants and resistance uh, as far as the fragments go. So I know Bird and Court have you know gone over some of these to recap the resistance is the extension of the Void Buff, so that overshield can get extended. And then Remnants is what extends the length of your grenades, or at least the uh, some of the grenades, including uh, the Vortex one, which you can now run on a Titan, which still hurts my brain a little bit that Vortex <laughs> grenade goes on Titan, but hey, I love it. Um, <laughs> so running something like that Remnants, and then you have Undermining, you can pin those two together, so now you have a void debuffing vortex grenade on your titan that will suck enemies in and then debuff them and tick damage on them as it does it. So lots of fun there. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is kind of the the couple other builds that are kind of going on top of all the things that I previously mentioned. Um, I use control dem demolition, not necessarily as much as the other two aspects, but control demolition is what is going to give people that familiar feeling of middle tree to the commander from the previous Void 3.0 setups on Titan, and has some really awesome potential, especially with a mod like Volatile Flow that has to do with getting your weapon rounds that trigger Volatile. We'll get a little bit more in detail on how that works, but the Volatile Explosions and Controlled Demolitionist, which is giving you health back to your Titan, can be really nice. Another thing that we'll talk a little bit more about in the patch notes in just a second is the changes to well um, well mods and protective light and well tenacity. So using something like Reaping Wellmaker, where I can throw my barricade down and then get a kill, and then have um, you know Seeking Wells Arc mod track that well to me and give me uh, you know nine seconds whatever it is 50% damage reduction is super nice. And then also just double down on that kind of like tank roll if somebody's going to be up front. So it's going to have a lot of damage reduction up a lot of the time. Somebody's going to be throwing a lot of debuffing grenades and things like that. So really happy with where Titans landed. I've already really been enjoying some of those the Heart of Light builds the you know, Bastion and Bulwark with the debuff undermining, um, Voltaic Flow, Control Demolition. I need to spend some more time kind of tempering with that. And the kind of last thing I'll say about Titan is that Bubble and Weapons of Light wasn't exactly clear on how it was changed. And Court knows more about this. Or Court, what exactly happened with Weapons of Light in Bubble and Banner? So, Weapons of, Weapons of Light, uh, the, that we've always assumed was the same modifier on both Banner Shield and uh, Ward of Dawn. Uh, that was 35% before Witch Queen. Uh, it was announced uh, by Kevin Yanis shortly before Witch Queen came out that uh, uh, Weapons of Light, the modifier, would be getting nerfed down to 25%. I was never entirely sure if he meant 
both Banner Shield and Bubble. And it's transpired uh, actually today that I've tested some of that, uh, where it is true that Bubble's Weapons of Light is 25%, but Weapons of Light from Banner Shield is 40%. Now, this wasn't announced in any of the patch notes, and there's nothing really specifically to, to mention about this change. Uh, so, the implication is this could be a, an, a bug, or it's slipped through and it's not intended. I don't necessarily see that as, as a bug or uh, unintended. It seems to be with how the stacking rules uh, all stack up, it seems to work as intended. Uh, so, so Banner, Shield, Banner Shield is the new meta for raids? Well, <laughs> could be, depends really on your setup, but the calculations that we've, uh, some of the science guys have done today uh, is that um, you'll still do more damage output with six people standing in a well or using the bubbles 25% compared to five people having 40% and one person sacrificing. I feel like that change may be a little bit more focused for grandmasters, for three-man teams, just to, you know, you're not focused on DPS per se. You're more focused on protection, but also giving out uh, a lot more of a, a buff. So it's an interesting change. Uh, something that's not been mentioned that may have slipped through the patch notes, but it might give people some... Uh, some interest in playing Banner Shield, and uh, yeah, we do have some uh, miscellaneous Void Sandbox changes here as well. Uh, something which is also likely not intended is, uh, or I should say, something that is uh, unintended is that the uh, weaken effect uh, from the various Void 3.0 effects uh, they actually override Divinity. Now, Divinity still is 30%, same with Teller, Track the Cannon. Winter's Helm, all these things are the sort of the big debuffs. Uh, but uh, Divinity, Divinity is certainly taking over the mantle of the Telesto of Trace Rifles, uh, where it's always been this uh, this trouble child uh, when it comes to stacking. Uh, and I know a lot with the, <laughs> with the Divinity's interaction with all these stacks uh, and modifiers, so it's likely not intended that that's supposed to be happening, but uh, just for Absolute clarity, do not use any weakened effects while a Divinity is up, because your damage will go from 30% uh, debuff down to 15%. We also know the, uh, the, 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 the next of the four fragments, uh, which have been confirmed to be blocked behind the raid completion. Uh, so we have Har uh, Echo of Harvest, where you uh, get an orb generation from precision kills on suppressed targets. Uh, Echo of Obscurity, where the invisibility on Finisher is propped. Uh, probably good for uh, those Warlock and Titans that want to go invis. <laughs> uh, we also have Echo of Starvation, which is uh, maybe for my Hunter brethren. We can tap into Devour, uh, Devour from Orb of Light pickups. And we also have Echo of Instability, which is probably the most interesting one. Uh, when you get a Void Grenade kill, you have Volatile Rounds on your Void Weapons. So, there's been a lot of explosions, been a lot of Volatile uh, happening across the uh, the sandbox, which is, is very entertaining to watch, just uh, playing some uh, Wellsprings or, or some uh, 
six-man activities, just seeing a bunch of explosions, and we'll be getting to see more of that. Say, <laughs> uh, what have we got with the the uh, the update that came with uh, Witch Queen? So there was a lot of changes that we've already covered as far as what was listed in update 4.0.0.1. So we are not going to read through this incredibly extensive list of patch notes. I'm just going to hit on some highlights here that I wanted to clarify or things that were new or unknown before we got this full list of finalized patch notes. So first thing I want to highlight is the changes to loss vectors. This is the big quality of life thing, I think. Some people prefer the old system, but the new system of loss sectors is that they have been unified into one loss sector per day and per in one piece of armor per day with a selectable difficulty. So you can pick, you know, your one of your your two different levels of difficulty as you approach the loss sector versus before they would have them split up with two pieces of armor with two different loss sectors and two different difficulties. Um, so now it's just the same one and it's one piece of armor type per day, and it's the same loss sector, and you can pick. Some people miss that there were two armor pieces available per day prior, but I think that this is a generally a world meter up change, in my opinion, so I, I'm of the camp that this, this was definitely positive. Um, there were some mod changes. Most notably was the protected light nerf down to 10%, and the buff of, well, tenacity up to 50%. This was something they also left a little developer note blurb on about the feeling that protected light was just a must pick in no matter what build you're running and it's just kind of catch all ability with unlimited uptime considering the fact that it wouldn't be proc until you needed it. So they wanted to change out its uh, you know, its viability with something like well tenacity, the void well mod, um, that grants fifty percent damage reduction for, I believe, 8 to 12 seconds to maybe 15, depending on if you're going to use some time dilation stacking or something like that. So it definitely requires more of a buildup, and it also requires or, or has a resulting shorter window for that incredibly high um, damage resistance time. And I think that if you talk to a lot of people that have been in the world of raiding and, and day one and things like that, they probably see this as a good change because this has just been a must-choose perk for so long that it's probably, you know, best that this is mixed up and uh, no longer just completely dominates the sandbox. Um, reaction to this has been the death of Charger's Light, which is also not true. There's still a ton of mods from Charger's Light that gives you stat bonuses, plus 20 strength, plus 20 mobility. Um, they're still going to be all over the Crucible, you know, uh, Radiant Light, Powerful Friends, you know, Stacks on Stacks, High Energy Fire is going to be yeah, everywhere in any kind of PvP environment where wells are not functioning. Um, so by no means is this the death of High Energy Fire and well mods, or in, in Charges Light mods and all those things. Um, it's just the death of protective light being mandatory on every single armor set that you have. Now, there's some interesting synergy there where you can have maybe a elemental charge with protective light and then also a well of tenacity buff or something like that. So you have the constant 10% uh, in your back pocket or the 50% whenever you pick up the mod. So if you're somebody that's looking to build into serious survivability for your day one uh, ray loadout or whatever, totally still there and definitely still an option. 
Um, next quality of life change we had was activity modifiers, the descriptions that activities um, list for their modifiers, specifically shields and champion types. So now whenever you are hovering over a nightfall that has match game or something like that, it will list out and tell you specifically there are arc and solar shields and there is an arc cinch. And they will also tell you the specific champion types that are going to be appearing in that activity, which is really nice just for quality of life instead of just seeing the modifier that says champions. Okay, well, now that's great, and then you get two-thirds of the way through your first one of the nightfall, and you realize that there's uh, an overload, and all you brought was barrier and unstop, and that never feels good. So um, just another easier way to help you when you're putting together your builds for each of these activities. I think uh, it just, I think for, for us, uh, and I mentioned this before we uh, started recording here, where that's more of a change for new lights or returning players. I think um, for us, we kind of, we know we've got schedules, we've got all these spreadsheets that tell us when we've got uh, arc, solar, void shields, and all these different types of champions. But from the perspective of a new light, if they were ever to get into a more ender game activity like Master, uh, Lost Sectors, or Nightfalls, that would be a much more inviting change. Because I've always thought that as we have these uh, different type of uh, champion mod modifiers and uh, these end game activities it's like oh this is great for us but for new lights is this inviting is, does this explain how and what you should be bringing into this activity and frankly before they added this uh, very useful like info box or uh, ui change it wasn't uh, so it's it's definitely a welcome change from from at least from new lights perspectives yeah, it's interesting you bring up new lights. We'll also talk quickly about the floor. So everybody's been brought up to 1350. Soft cap is now 1500. Powerful cap at 1550. And then finally, pinnacle cap at 1560. I think that, well, I don't know if there's been massive changes to the new light experience. There were some changes detailed in the most recent patch notes. And the way that they've kind of come into the game, I think, has improved slightly. Where now you're gathering these subclasses rather than getting these uh, hugely distributed kind of quests all over the game. Um, and then I also have the contest mode enabled as you go through the campaign. So if you were, um, I like Merck was talking about bringing some of these light buddies into the game and taking them through, you know, theoretically, even if it's a challenge to get through this campaign, by the time you finish, you pick up an exotic piece of armor and some 15, 20 gear. I mean, you know, you're you're ready to get your, your boots on and head out into the brave new world, Guardians. You may be a new life, but, you know, you've got what it takes. So I think that at least the path towards, like, going from I'm brand new to the game towards I want to do a Master Nightfall is slightly smoother of a transition now than it used to be, which is always good to see. So that about does it for everything in the most recent patch that we wanted to talk about. Everything else that was included in that was likely included in some other mention of an interview of a previous trial or anything like that that would make just changes there. And now we want to kind of just take an initial look at weapon crafting. We're not going to get super into the details of the materials and best acquisition methods and the enhanced perks and all those things, um, just because there's a lot that the dust is still settling on that we want to finalize before we give out hard numbers on that. But we can at least start out with our thoughts of weapon crafting, um, pros, cons, bird in court. What are you guys thinking? What are you feeling five days in? Yeah, um, I'm happy to, before we get into the 
actual system go over what is craftable? Because I've had a lot of questions about stuff, and, and there's been some confusion about what, what I can make. So just to clarify, if you're wondering, the following weapon groups are craftable. That is, the weapons that come from the throne world, the season of the risen weapons, and then the upcoming raid weapons. Those, of course, can't be crafted right now because the raid isn't out at the time of this recording. Uh, in addition, we have four uh, weapons that are just kind of floaters. Um, so there's the Syncopation Pulse Rifle, that's a stasis pulse rifle. The Enigma Glaive, you will craft that over the course of the campaign right at the start. The Ragnild D Shotgun and the Palmyra B Rocket Launcher. So um, my guess is that going forward we're going to get all of the upcoming seasonal weapons added to the crafting system, but then they might add in some, some random weapons from the... Uh, from the world loophole, we've had a bunch of world loophole weapons added as well that we'll, we'll get into uh, in future episodes. So that's what is craftable. Now the the confusion does stem from the deep sight resonance, um, I don't know what you call it, effect uh, that will show up on any weapon that can drop for you. Um, it's a red bordered weapon uh, and then there will be a activity bar that's attached to the weapon. You use the weapon and complete activities with the weapon equipped to fill up that activity bar. When you're done with the activity and it's fully maxed out, you will have the option to extract certain essences. And the certain essences are tied to uh, the, I guess you call them the families of perks. You've got your utility perks, your reload perks, your damage perks, and then there's a fourth type that's uh, raid perks that we haven't had access to because, again, the raid isn't out yet. So you get the option of extracting based on the final two perks in the weapon that has red border. So it could be the case that you'll have a utility perk and a reload perk. Most often it will be a reload perk and a damage perk. Very rarely would it be a damage and a damage perk that you'll have the options. And they all have different names, and you're able to see how many of those essences that you have if you hover over the perk icon of the weapon that has a red border around it, there'll be a little drop-down menu that shows you the number of the essence that's tied to that perk. So you extract the weapon, you'll get a little bit of the perk, and then you'll also get something called neutral essence, which is what you're going to be spending a lot of when you go to craft and reshape your weapons. So that's the system. Again, a lot of confusion. Any weapon that drops for you can drop with a red border, and that's any legendary weapon, by the way but not every legendary weapon is added to the crafting system. And if you're curious about all of the weapons that are in the crafting system, you can go over to your Triumphs page. You'll go to where the Exotic Catalyst page is. That'll be on the, the far right side. That has been expanded to include the weapon crafting system. So you click on that, and it will show you all of your kinetic, special, and heavy weapons that can be crafted. Um, you'll be able to see how far your progress has been made, and I'll get into what that means a little bit. Um, and then you'll also be able to see just at a glance all of the weapons that are in the crafting system. Now, the controversial part of the weapon crafting system is the fact that you do have to unlock weapons to craft them. And the way that works is you need to get a specific weapon with the deep sight resonance ability. That's the red border. And that is... Um, it's taking some time. Uh, it's it's very frustrating. It's completely random at this point in time. Uh, there's certain abilities, uh, or sorry, there's certain activities that do have a chance to drop certain weapons. We've been mentioning this before, the Wellspring activity. That's something that's on the Throne World for uh, the Witch Queen expansion. That has a daily rotation of weapons that drop from it that you can craft. Um, and they do require 
multiple drops with that red border to be fully progressed. And so I think for a lot of people, the RNG nature of unlocking weapons is frustrating because when we were told that we were getting weapon crafting, uh, I think we all assumed that this would put an end to the RNG nature <laughs> of getting Gobrol weapons, and we were going to have a chance to get uh, a fully deterministic system. And to Bungie's credit, it is deterministic for the weapons, but you have to still have some RNG to get access to the weapons. And then, of course, you need to uh, build up your currency reserves to spend so you can get the perks that you want. Um, so it's, it, we've been grinding, we've been joking about grinding Wellspring. How are you feeling about the entire system? Are you, are you happy? Are you unhappy? Is there anything that you're not interested in or, or want to see changed? So just before I put my point here, there is uh, something which was only brought to my attention uh, a couple of days, well, uh, yesterday or the day before. There is a uh, crafting guide on the official Bungie website, which goes into a little bit more detail. Uh, it's not been well publicized or advertised. Again, I had no clue about it until someone brought it to my attention. Uh, so if you go onto Bungie's website, and there will be an article that just kind of uh, goes down the the individual uh, materials and craftables that you 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 require and what they need because it's not one criticism that I just again it taps into the whole like new from a new like new light experience it's not well presented to you what you really need to do now start of the uh, the actual witch queen campaign you do get to sort of you get a tutor- tutorialized mission where you have to craft the uh, the, the, the enigma, the blade. Uh, but there were certain times where I was thinking, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here and what do these currencies mean? I don't know if that's the same impression you guys got as well, uh, but just from my perspective, uh, you know, I'm a seasoned PvE crafting kind of person, but uh, it just something which arced me initially. Uh, but that there is, as I said, there is that article that's uh, that is present on Bungie's website. The one criticism that, like, in, from an overview perspective, I don't really necessarily have anything wrong with the currencies, which I know a lot of people do. Uh, the the actual reach, the, the actual ability to weapon craft is very exciting, and I still have that uh, that desire to do so. But what's kind of put me off currently, uh, and I've not done a lot of weapon crafting, I'll, I'll, I'll happily admit here, is because of the progression through a specific uh, quest that you get uh, a little bit later on within the Witch Queen campaign, which requires you to get two different weapons to, uh, to deep sight resonance to uh, attune. Uh, these weapons are attached to the Wellspring activity, which they only drop from Wellspring, which uh, rotates between attack and defend uh, per day. Those specific weapons, at least from my, like, from what I've gathered, they only drop from that activity. But they're not guaranteed to drop as a deep sight resonance. So I'm get, I'm still getting normal drops of those two weapons, and I I don't know what to do. Like I I want to progress this specific quest, but it's just it's something which is really frustrating me, uh, which is putting me off entirely with weapon crafting. Weapon crafting itself is is present, but this attachment to getting other uh, uh, weapons 
to drop with the red box is is just it's really it's really frustrating me. And uh, what do you what do you think, uh, Saint Bard? Yeah, I would agree with the frustration around the materials. I think that the ability to the deterministic ability once you get the weapon is great. You can go yep. just use it all the time in all these activities, level it up, pick your perks, um, you know, grind out some materials for, again, the drop rate on a certain exotic tier material that you need to enable enhanced perks. It's not great, and I think that there could be some improved ways to acquire that maybe, but um, again, it just has to do with the RNG nature of the materials and not necessarily the system itself. So it's like we have this awesome... You know, I think it speaks to Court's frustration, too, about, like, there's this awesome system, and then there is this RNG associated with getting what you need to use it. And it's like, oh, man, I have this really interesting weapon crafting system in the, you know, the, the Enclave, right, that I could make use of, but RNG is preventing me from engaging with this how I would want to normally and in, in invest in it, so... That has been a little frustrating, and I think that that also comes from the, the people's hope for the potential of weapon crafting, right? Um, and I, this goes into anything about the game, but people are critical of it because they believe in it and they want to see it succeed and they enjoy it, right? We wouldn't be sitting here giving feedback on the weapon crafting in D2 if we didn't think weapon crafting was an awesome feature and wanted to see it succeed in the first place. So, you know, I don't want to come off completely negative, but we want to see the most out of the system that we can, and I think that that RNG of the materials and the weapons right now is, as you said, kind of what's holding it back the most from really succeeding in its, you know, kind of full potential. Uh, still really exciting development in Destiny, and going through some of the early crafting was cool. I mean, I don't know a lot about the enhanced perks. I haven't had hardly enough time, uh, barely had enough materials to masterwork my osteo, which I'm sure we can talk about, um, you know, later down the line. But a lot of potential, some criticisms on the materials, still really hopeful for the future of weapon crafting inside Destiny and how this is going Absolutely. to continue yep. to develop. Um, and folks, if you are wanting to find that weapon crafting guide, I just went and looked it up for you guys. You're going to go to Bungie.net, you'll go to the help section, and I'll take you to Bungie Help, and then you can just type in the search bar, weapon crafting guide. It's also one of their featured articles, and that will explain everything that you need to, if you've forgotten what certain materials do, or just need a, a quick refresh. So, thank you. Yeah, um, it, it needs some polish, but we're happy that it's here. Um, the weapons that we do have in the weapon crafting system are really incredible. The seasonal weapons are phenomenal. The um, origin traits are a lot of fun. Uh, I think some people were hoping for a little bit more out of them, but uh, I think we here at PVE think uh, this, these are pretty pretty spicy, especially the the Hake one, the the Sura Synergy one, especially for, for PvP is going to be really great. And then the land tank origin trait, which shows up on the season of the Risen weapons, are really exciting. Uh, the other thing, of course, is with the new expansion, we get more weapon perks, new weapon perks. And so I want to give a quick shout-out to a few of them. Uh, the big one that I think has caught our attention has been adaptive munitions. This is uh, a really interesting idea. Uh, it seems like Bungie's giving us an option to kind of spec around match game, which is one of the more annoying anti-match game, right? <laughs> uh, one of the more annoying modifiers that typically shows up in Master and Grandmaster content, and if you don't know what that is, that means that any uh, weapon damage that is not matched 
to an elemental shield is uh, nerfed pretty extensively. So what Adaptive Munitions does is uh, when it shows up on a weapon, it will adapt your weapon's damage output to be more effective against energy shields that don't match the energy type. Now, we're still trying to figure out the exact amount, but uh, from some initial tests, it looks like it's going to be um, pre pretty viable. Obviously, you're going to want to make sure you're still matching weapons to the respective shields and the burn and the singes and all that stuff, but this is nice to have kind of as a, a last resort in case you, uh, you know, you don't have an element and your buddy that did have the element maybe went down, so you've got to cover with an elemental shield, and you'll have this to kind of help you out. Um, one of the other newer fun <laughs> fun perks that I've been playing around with has been Chill Clutch. This shows up on the Stasis Heavy Weapons, I believe is the only one that shows up on the Rocket Launcher and then a Heavy Grenade Launcher. Chill Clip uh, means that direct hits with the top half of your magazine will cause a detonation that slows nearby targets. So uh, I have this on my Hake rocket launcher, and of course the top half of the magazine rocket launchers only have one in the mag, so this is every rocket has Chill Clip. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a pretty big area of effect. Uh, I've been using it in Wellspring as I try and fail to uh, unlock the various weapons day to day. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it does grant, uh, I believe you said it was 50 stacks, court, 50 stacks of slow, and then yep. 100 will freeze the target. The uh, third new one that we have is uh, one that I know Data was very excited about, Compulsive Reloader. That will grant you greatly increased reload speed uh, when you are close to a full magazine. For those of you that have a, an itchy reload finger as opposed to an itchy trigger finger. That, um, that's the Call of Duty parrot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, the next one that we have is Focused Fury. This one's pretty interesting. I haven't gotten to play around with this one a lot. Dealing the half of the magazine as precision damage grants this weapon bonus damage for uh, duration. Not sure what the buff is there, but uh, presumably that would be pretty powerful on your larger magazine weapons like auto rifles and machine guns. And I do know that it shows up on the uh, seasonal machine gun, the rapid fire seasonal machine gun. So I'm very excited to play with that. Um, the next one that we have here on the list is going to be Stats for All. This is probably, after Adaptive Munitions, my next favorite perk. Um, this is incredible. So you're probably familiar with One for All. That means that hitting three separate targets gives you a damage buff for a certain amount of time. Stats for All gives you a bump to your stats for hitting three separate targets, and those stats are Handling, Stability, Reload, and Range. That is four stats just for hitting three separate targets. So uh, obviously for me, what I'm looking for is weapons that have uh, stats for all and one for all, and there are a number of them that have that combo. So uh, I know the Wellspring Auto Rifle definitely has it. I'm currently grinding that one out to see if I can level it, level it up and get the, the stats for all, one for all combination. Um, it's a high impact auto rifle as well, so it really does need the stability, reload, and handling that uh, stats for all can provide. So very excited for that perk. The next one that we have is Steady Hands. Kills provide improved handling for all weapons for duration. Um, I think I've had a, I think I've had a heavy grenade launcher drop with this. Haven't had a, a huge amount of time to play with it, but uh, I think that could be pretty powerful for PvP, uh, potentially for PVE, depending on what kind of weapons you have that would have low handling. Uh, this next one I know is going to be very popular in PvP. Successful warm up. Each final blow increases charge or draw speed for a duration. This will show up on bows and fusion rifles. Um, worth pointing out, we'll get into this a little bit later on uh, as, as we go about the new expansion, but the 
Nightfall weapons have had a refresh of their perks, and so this perk does show up on the plug one, which is dropping um, this season. It, it can drop in, I think, the third column. So uh, very excited to see how this plays out. I'm sure this is going to make for some pretty nutty plays in uh, sixes and Iron Banner or potentially Trials, uh, getting one of those uh, slower charging fusion rifles or uh, a bow for some quick follow-up shots. Uh, let's see. Uh, we do have a few new Glaive-specific perks. I'll talk about the next one here. Tilting at Windmills. That's a literary reference for some of you. Uh, blocking damage with your shield increases movement speed until you lower your shield. Again, we don't know the exact amount, but uh, I have played around with this on the Enigma Glaive. Um, haven't been able to detect a, a huge increase in my movement speed. I don't typically do a whole lot of running when I'm blocking with the glaive. Um, but it sounds good. good. And then you try to yeah, run, and it doesn't, it doesn't it's quite playing out. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to play around with that one. Not not a whole lot that immediately jumps out to me. Next one we have is Turnabout. This is not a glaive-specific perk. Using this weapon to break the shield of a combatant or a guardian who is in their super, that's the important part, a guardian in their super will grant you an overshield. Um, this is, spoiler alert, going to show up on a catalyst for a particular weapon that came out this season. Uh, very excited to to play around with this one. Um, it's, uh, it seems like it's going to be very useful on weapons that can break shields quite easily, like, oh, I don't know, grenade launchers? Again, no spoilers, but uh, something to look forward to there. The second Glaive-specific uh, perk that we have would be Unstoppable Force. So blocking damage with your shield increases projectile damage for a duration. Uh, this one probably going to see a little bit more use, at least for me, uh, more than tilting at windmills. I've been doing a lot of blocking with my glaive during the Legendary campaign, and um, the projectile speed for a glaive definitely takes some getting used to, doesn't it, Phil? It's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty slow. Um, yes. I know the Enigma specifically can get impulse amplifier, so that can, uh, if, you're, if you feel like you're missing a lot of your projectile shots, you can certainly speed up the velocity of that with impulse amplifier, but... Uh, yeah, this is uh, a very exciting perk for people that want to go all out on the uh, the shooting aspect of <laughs> on the glaze. If you're if that's what really excites you about the glaze, I'm, I'm still kind of getting used to the fact that it functions as a weapon, <laughs> a gun rather, <laughs> as uh, more than just a, a melee. But uh, those are the new perks. Again, a lot of really exciting things. Some stuff that we'll uh, have to do some testing and see how they they play out. But uh, yeah, very excited. Again, the Nightfall weapons and presumably the Trials weapons have gotten a perk refresh, so I highly recommend if you're someone who plans on doing a lot of Trials or Nightfalls that you go and check out those new perk pools and see if there's anything that you might want to uh, go out and grind. There have been some perks that have been removed, so I would definitely uh, encourage you, if you've already got a couple rolls, to look at stuff and see if you've got something that would be currently unobtainable because there are a few uh, perks that will no longer show up on those specific weapons. So... That's all the weapon talk. Again, weapon crafting, it's still in its infancy. It needs to be worked on, um, but it will be expanded throughout the rest of this current year. There's going to be a lot of stuff in the, in the system by the time uh, Lightfall drops. We're going to have four seasons worth of weapons added, and then presumably the upcoming raid, and then perhaps the uh, returning D1 raid that will be coming to us midway through the year. Maybe some dungeon weapons added. We don't know. Uh, we know that Bungie has said that they want to also add in uh, legacy weapons. So we'll see what uh, what comes back or what comes into the weapon crafting system. Uh, so, again, very excited. A uh, lot of potential. Need some polish. Very expensive at the moment. Um, 
We'll see what happens. We'll see how things shake out. Uh, now we're going to pivot over to mods. The new artifact, of course, has dropped for Season of the Risen. A lot of new exciting stuff. Uh, Court, what kind of champion mods do we have for Season 16? Yeah, we've got quite a, an array of uh, very interesting champion mods. We do have uh, a, a first-timer for anti-barrier, and that's Scout. We've never had a Scout barrier, sorry, anti-barrier. Uh, I've not tested that out. Uh, I don't know how well that functions, uh, but we do, uh, sorry, not Scout, I should say Bow, Bow anti-barrier. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we've definitely had Scout before. Uh, <laughs> bow anti-barrier is something I haven't tested out uh, for for, uh, I would like to see how that functions with uh, some uh, s- some of the uh, the bows like uh, Le Monarch or uh, Weshender. Uh, Weshender does have that uh, interesting trait where you do double, essentially double damage. You do the entry and the exit damage. So uh, there might be some interesting choices for uh, bow anti-barrier. We, as as I mistakenly said, we definitely have had Scout before, uh, and that is a a welcome return for those that have explosive explosive payload Scout rifles out there. Uh, Overload, we have Autos and SMGs, that is one mod, uh, so you can combine uh, your Autos and SMGs. As of currently, uh, it's one of the uh, uh, known issues for uh, the current patch uh, or sandbox for uh, for uh, Witch Queen, where it's not properly, uh, it's, 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 it, it is stunning, but it's not properly uh, reducing the health, health regeneration rate of Overload Champions. So it might be a hit or a miss when it comes to later uh, endgame content, if, uh, if there are any Overloads that are, uh, I haven't personally seen anyway, it's mostly been uh, Barrier and Unstoppable. Yeah. It's mostly been uh, Hive uh, content that we've been playing, but uh, that's a, a current known issue which should hopefully be uh, fixed uh, soon enough. Uh, we also have Void Grenades for uh, Overload, that is your utility, uh, just to lob your Void Grenade and you'll get the Overload there. Uh, if you uh, if those choices don't uh, meet your standards, you could, uh, if you do have a Divinity user, Divinity does prop overload, and also the new uh, Warlock Exotics Sacant Filaments, where every uh, weapon within that uh, impairing rift gets uh, gets overload. Uh, I've personally not tested it, but uh, apparently it's very interesting, uh, which uh, we might go into more detail in a future episode. But uh, uh, yeah, for Unstoppable, we have hand cannons, pulses, Glaives and solar melees. Uh, quite a selection there. I think uh, hand cannons are always the uh, useful one there. We do also have quite an array of exotic, uh, unstoppable champion mods, if that's not your thing. Uh, we do have uh, Bastion, the exotic fusion rifle. Uh, we have uh, the Leviathan's Breath. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, there is a additional complementary champion mod. And that is the Lucent Finisher, uh, where you uh, it grants heavy ammo uh, for finishing a Lucent Brood Guardian uh, or a champion. Now, that just to make that very clear, that it's not just Lucent Brood enemies, it's the Guardians themselves. So you have to finish a Lucent Brood Guardian or a champion. Uh, we have an array of um, enhanced origin traits. 
uh, we have psionic forging 1 and psionic forging 2. The, the first one, we have increases the duration of the psychohack origin trait and its effect, uh, sorry, and the effect of pseudo-synergy origin trait. Uh, for the second one, we have increases the duration of the land tank origin trait and the effect of the hacky breach armaments origin trait. Uh, from the very early testing that I've done, I think it's just a flat uh, 50% duration or, sorry, 100% duration or 100% damage increase. Uh, with the hacky breach armaments, uh, if you uh, if you remember back in the previous episodes or in the patch notes, they have made it so with hacky breach armaments, you do 15% extra damage to vehicles and constructs. So constructs are your uh, your uh, cyclops or the shriekers, and 30% to turrets, barricades, and stasis crystals. Uh, so that is a origin trait for hacky weaponry. I, I did pull up a little list here of some new hacky uh, weapons that I've uh, dropped with this uh, patch that also roll with Vorpal. So you could uh, pair the origin trait with Vorpal, which also increases the damage to vehicles and constructs. Uh, the new Gambit auto rifle, uh, the Herod C, a 360 high impact frame, uh, that does roll Vorpal. We also have Percy's D, uh, which is a high impact frame scout rifle that also rolls Vorpal. So you could combo the two. Uh, so just to kind of look back, uh, the psionic forging would give you 30% against vehicles and constructs. If you add Vorpal, which is 15%, that's multiplicatively damaged up to around about uh, 45, uh, 47 point, let me just double check, uh, that's a 49.5 extra damage uh, just for freely having your perks enabled. Uh, may come into uh, some some use for specific uh, nightfalls that have uh, vehicles or constructs. We also have some uh, Void 3.0 related artifact mods. Uh, I spoke about uh, one or two of these. Uh, we have Suppressive Darkness. Whenever you suppress a combatant, you also weaken them, uh, causing them to take additional damage for a short time. That's 15% weaken. The Energy Vampirism. Uh, gain energy for your least charged ability when you suppress a target. We have a Volatile Flow. Picking up a Void, void Element well grants your Void Weapons, volatile rounds, a lot of V's and W's there. <laughs> uh, devouring depths, uh, casting your void super while you're critically wounded or benefiting from devour increases your damage with that super. Uh, again, some early testing, which I'm confident enough to say, I think that's around about 30%. So if you pair that with Orpheus Rig, uh, Mobius Quiver, you will be quite a machine. Quite yeah, a slow yes. one, too, I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, really some people. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so again, just uh, just for being critically wounded or having the devour effect on your character increases damage. Uh, so that's maybe quite an interesting one. Uh, we have also the suppression mastery. Uh, so the suppression effects you create have increased duration. 
the overload grenades, as we've already discussed there, uh, that's uh, strong against disruption overload champions. And we also have suppressing glaive, which I mentioned much earlier on in the uh, the episode here, where damaging combatants with your glaive, uh, whether that's a projection, uh, sorry, a projectile or a melee, suppresses them, preventing them to use their abilities for a short time. Uh, that's a very, I would definitely urge everyone, including my uh, podcast hosts here, to give that a little shot, uh, because you'll, uh, as a hunter as well, uh, using style of executioner, uh, you will, uh, you'll see what I mean. There's a lot so of we'll fun. See, yeah, suppressive glaive, suppressive darkness combo there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, a, lot of fun. a lot of fun. You know, another thing I want yeah. to add on there is that while the overload has been bugged, I have been running um, Osteo Trigger because its dot damage is actually obscene. And this is something I'm, we're all having to get, uh, we're not going to dive deep into right now, but if you're struggling to take out an overloaded champion, use the Osteostriga and, and hit them before they, um, when they get stunned, they will also have a damage over time triggered on them, and it will help them keep, it will help you keep them checked for your teammate to shoot a rocket at it or something and uh, get rid of the thing. So, just a nice little thing there in the meantime while we wait for that auto and SMG mod to get adjusted. And I forgot to mention that um, Osteostriga, and then there are three exotic glaives that you will be able to craft. Um, so that's that's the whole list of craftable weapons. We do have a few exotics in there, and Osteo is definitely one of them that you should craft as soon as you can, because it is quite strong. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some very interesting array of artifact mods there. Now, also, we, do, we don't have the uh, uh, any sort of focus and lens or breach and clear or uh, particle deconstruction, those mods have certainly been uh, ousted. Uh, we don't, uh, as we speculated a few weeks ago, we I thought we might get some sort of um, rocket launcher mod. It doesn't appear to be. Uh, we, you know, I suppose you could pair this ionic forging to, uh, there are some hacky breach, uh, sorry, there are some hacky rocket launchers. That could be your uh, damage buff, but again, that's only for uh, constructs and vehicles uh, so yeah unfortunate we don't have a rocket launcher mod but uh, you know Bungie did make it quite clear that they're they're done experimenting with uh, things like uh, folk, uh, uh, breach and clear and particle deconstruction uh, very strong mods I think that people will find that there's still a meta uh, you know I'm not going to yes. say too much but um, yeah. you can still melt some bosses out there don't be too afraid yeah, absolutely. Of, uh, of the fact that we've lost our darkness you know, or as, as some of refer to it as. No, no spoilers here, but uh, yeah, it's uh, seeing a lot of uh, seeing a lot of clips and videos of uh, of bosses being deleted. Potential <laughs> war crimes. <laughs> it's yet to be destroyed. Yes, potential <laughs> war crimes. <laughs> um, to round out oh. our uh, our first impressions, we have just some uh, short notes from the 224 twelb. We have Game to Give is coming back. Uh, Game to Give is awesome. It, won't dive super deep into Game to Give, but it supports charities basically through Bungie. Um, there are a lot of incentives. There's emblems and ships for donations and all kinds of things like that. Um, and this is going to be going again until March 2nd. So you're going to look out on Twitch or anywhere else where people are raising money for Game to Give. I would highly encourage um, to donate if you see any streamer, YouTuber, or anybody like that that you follow um, is contributing. It's a great thing. 
lastly, we also got some raid details. This was kind of like on a follow-up to the TWAB, but we'll include it in this in section anyways. Um, the power cap or recommended level for contest mode will be 1530. The name of the raid is the Vow of the Disciple, and it's also confirmed to start on March 5th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, and that is an hour after reset for wherever that may occur in your local time zone. So really excited for this raid um, and just its accessibility. The 1520 legendary gear, you know, you spend another couple of hours, you can be at 1530, no issue. So raid accessibility is at an all-time high. You know, it's in the afternoon on a Saturday, which ideally is as accessible as it can be, even, you know, with people's very worst schedules out there in the world. Um, love to see Bungie continue to make that push towards making the day one raid not easy, but easy to get into. Size of beat, but it's easy to, to try at least. Um, and that's about all we got for our Witch Queen first impressions. It's a massive amount of content. You know, it's going to take us weeks to dig through a lot of these new perks and all that stuff, but we are really happy with things are landing and uh, yeah, excited for the future. All the episodes we got vice weapons to cover, we got hockey weapons, we got throwable weapons. There's a raid that's not even out yet. There is much more to be learned about enhanced perks and all that stuff. So um, plenty, to, plenty to come from us here at TDE over the next couple of months as we really dig into all that Wish Queen has to offer. So thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Ben Sinkbeer. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch over in Discord. Uh, Bird, where can people find you? My name is The Solitary Bird. You can find me on Twitter and Discord by that name. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about weapon rolls. I know that uh, a lot of people have been looking at their vaults, not sure how they're going to shape up with weapon crafting and all the new rolls and stuff, so I'm happy to answer any questions you have about that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited for the future of Destiny 2. We're in a great place, and the future is incredibly bright. And my name's been Court. You can also find me out uh, on the uh, Massive Breakdowns Discord server. Uh, again, you can also ask me, tag me, uh, DM me, whether it's on uh, Twitter, at Court Projects, or on Discord. Uh, anything to do with damage stacking, uh, anything to do with uh, weapon damage buffs, all that jazz. And uh, I just do want to extend my uh, uh, well wishes and good lucks to everyone that will be uh, doing the day one uh, raid. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. See you in the next episode.